lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any movie that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Sometimes they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And if I survived Rommel, I'm sure I can survive another excruciating evening with Roger Matheson. <laughs> I feel like the quotes I'm picking just get more and more obscure every time we do this that's, damn podcast set. That's that's a great quote. There are some really good one-liners in this that like don't get the fair representation it deserves when it comes to this movie's like place in film history. Yeah, especially because I thought it was Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that has to be discussed. Oh, these are very two very different movies. Oh yeah, I I was uh, not ready for some of the things in this movie, but we will get there. Of course, I am happy to announce that we are continuing on with Monstober in the only way that we know how to on Cinemodities with Zach here, and Zach is of course chugging along, picking all these episodes for us, all these movies for us to discuss. But before we jump into this one, an, an Ethiopian werewolf in Kenya, we have to talk about. The Cinemodities Patreon. Zach, how much money are you spending a month to get bonus content that you're not involved in? <laughs> Folks, my entire financial stake in Cinemodities can basically be counted on all my hands and toes. Let's <laughs> just to say that. Actually, my hands and toe. So let's keep it at that. Yeah, what is it? Uh, I think we say it off mic a lot, but your stake in Cinemodities is $12 and an Avengers ticket. <laughs> Something like that. So, as you've been hearing this whole month, uh, definitely head over to the Cinemodities Patreon, patreon.com slash Cinemodities. You can fund the restaurant, you can get some bonus content, and it's everything you've ever wanted to spend your money on. I think that's the best way to say it. Zach, is there anything you want to point out about the Cinemodities Patreon? (laughs) Uh, Other than the fact I'm 100% ignorant to it, no. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, perfect. So, with that out of the way, that quick advertisement, we can get into... An Egyptian werewolf in Iraq. I have to start by saying I told Zach when he uh, had pitched this movie to me and said that it really spoke to him for Monstober. I think that's uh, exactly what you said to me, you know, however long ago. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. It was a really long time ago. I don't remember a lot about it, but I would never miss the chance to talk about a manslaughterer. Turns out I had not seen this movie before. So this was actually something that came out of nowhere. I I think what we were saying, it wasn't Teen Wolf I was confusing it with, but The Howling, the Joe Dante film, and maybe I was getting my my manslaughterer and my actual good respected directors confused (laughs) from the Twilight Zone movie. But with that out of the way, I would like to throw it over to you, Zach. And that's my context. I think that's what I'm saying. Where did this come from? Why did you want to do this for Monstober? What's your history with an Icelandic werewolf in Greenland? Oh boy, this is this is almost as bad as what was it, Butterscotch Vistas? This is <laughs> this is almost as bad, possibly even worse because there's much more opportunities for this. Chocolate Horizons, <laughs> Chocolate Horizons. So we have a bunch of them. Um, no, my history with this is quite brief. Um, I. I was never a big John Landis fan, or as Rob's going to keep describing him as the manslaughterer. No one should be a big fan of his because he killed children. <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, father, but that's a story for another day. Um, 
no. So like I, I, I remember hearing about this movie forever. Probably my first introduction to it, and this could be this story could be 100 percent wrong, was in that 100 Years, 100 Thrills AFI like CBS documentary, or if you want to call it serial or program, where I'm pretty sure the moment where our main character transforms into a werewolf for the first time was considered one of the most like thrilling moments. Could be wrong. I have no. It just seems like that's the first place I was introduced to this. Okay. Um, I was always kind of aware of this film just because of its very long title. It's almost up there with the uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert <laughs> Ford. It has a very lengthy title that you just have to say the whole thing for. Um, but I always thought it was like kind of like a um, a derivative sequel to like the. I was like like, like a schlocky just sequel to like the Wolf Man. It's just like it's just another sequel, just something like that. And then I forget where I saw it, but I saw the uh the nightmare sequence of the nazi demons and i'm like what i'm like what is this i'm like this is in that movie how is like what and so i got the movie it has to be from the library or somewhere i got the movie and i watched it and i'm like oh this is this is a pretty neat movie and then about four years ago i know it's been released on blu-ray so many times like it's one of those movies that's been released like probably more than a dozen and so i finally they were just they they did like a remastering of it about four years ago i remember getting it because i pre-ordered it the day before my father died and i picked it up from best by the day after my father died. okay okay it's a it's a very weird memory tied to that um, it's kind of sandwiched in there. And so I I watched it and it's I watched it probably that week. And then I haven't like it's all I think it's been on the spreadsheet for a while. And then I watched it in preparation for this, and by in preparation for this, like half asleep last night. And I it's 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 a it's such an irreverent movie. Like, don't get me wrong, it kind of checks off all the boxes for me. Like, if I were to have seen this movie in high school, it definitely, I think, would have been up there with, like, some of my favorite films of that time. Like, it would have been in the same realm as The Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, um, things of that sort of just ilk. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've always, I don't want to say I love this film. I think I admire it more than I love it. But I think it's taking John Landis out of the equation. There's a certain level of irreverence in this movie that I think is unparalleled. I don't know if, if I would use those same words, but I agree with where you're coming from that this movie, once I realized that I had not seen it before and I was watching it cold, you know, for, for this recording, setting aside John Landis and also setting aside the fact that Griffin Dunn keeps telling me to kill myself in this movie, <laughs> I, I am kind of in awe, maybe not all admiration as you put it is probably a good way to describe how I feel, because this really didn't fall into a lot of the traps that I expected from something like a werewolf movie. Like, the fact that it takes an hour for us to even get a transformation scene. It The, the fact that the movie just ends after our main character dies. There, there's so much that this movie does that I didn't expect. I was expecting something more of a commonplace werewolf film, and this really was nothing like that. And I have to respect it for that amount. It's unconventional. That's probably the biggest thing going for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unconventional is a, a really good way to put it. There's so much more going on, I think, than just a werewolf film that I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I think. I know that in Rob's research, he probably saw that a lot of this is like one of the biggest complaints about this movie is that is it a comedy, is it a horror film, which is it? And this, like, it's a dark comedy. And mm-hmm. the problem is that 
this was a dark comedy before that was a term. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Um, there are a lot of comedic elements. I would say it's almost a, a movie in two parts. I think it starts as a comedy and eventually becomes more like a horror. Uh, of course, there's some blending between the two. But I was kind of, you know, shocked by the fact that they take two different approaches in maybe the first and second half of the movie. I don't really think there's much comical stuff once, you know, our main character, David, I believe his name is, realizes he's a werewolf and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's hurt people and he's trying to get arrested by the police officer. I think that's where, you know, we really start to get some horror and especially when, you know, he's he is the wolf monster at the end of it. I I disagree. I think there's a like this is what I mean by like I would have been oh god, this movie probably if it was I'm trying to think of the first movie I saw that kind of had this tongue in cheek type of horror in it. Okay. Um it had to be Evil Dead. I'm trying to think of the first like schlock. I guess again going back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's when I really started to appreciate I without maybe even consciously being aware of it, schlock horror. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like like I referenced like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where they're all sitting at the table and they're howling, and I'm like, I can't take this seriously. This is, this is <laughs> it's 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 not unsettling. It's goofy. Um, I think if I would have seen this movie back in that same time frame, I think this is like a movie that Sal and I would have glommed onto because of just how zany and just all over, like intentionally all over the place it is with this comedy. Like you said with its quotes, like this movie has a bunch of zingers that if you're not paying attention to it, you kind of miss. Sure. Like one of them. Like one of the best examples is that very early in the film when our two characters are are walking and it's like, oh, I'm going to like, I really want to sleep with so and so who's in Italy right now. And it's like, well, how long have you been pining for her? The eighth grade. Isn't that the longest foreplay in history? It's like, OK, <laughs> I, I, again, that's a funny one liner. Yeah. Even after Griffin Dunn is dead and a zombie, he's like, you ever talk to a corpse? It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> but he's even like even at my funeral, so and so like she was there. And she was really upset. And what does she do? She goes running off with so like, with some other guy. It's like even in the afterlife, life mocks me. And it's like, <laughs> like that's great. Like that's like I like I that's up my that is up my alley to such an extreme. Um, but to like, I would say the humor is quite persistent in this. I okay. think earlier in the film, it you don't again, you don't know what to make of this film for. I'd say the first. Um, I'd say until after he wakes up in the hospital, because it's kind of just that, like that awkward tension humor where it's like, oh, there are two main characters are in put in just kind of awkward scenarios. So you don't know if the humor is intentional or just being there to kind of add levity to what's about to come down. It's kind mm-hmm. of again, it's that general horror schlock, I, oh, not schlock, that general horror, just like levity humor. We're like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. Um that sort of thing. And it should be kept in mind, this was 1981. This was being made before you really had your slasher genre horror renaissance. Okay, okay. Um, This was before then. This is before Friday the 13th. This is before you really had the explosion of that in the horror genre where humor kind of got started to become baked into the pie. Where you have, like, I would say, oh God, like, the, the, it's a lot of subtle humor. Like, the best piece of subtle humor in this is where it's the right after he has it, the final transformation in the porno theater and we have the Bobby come out, shut the gate and be like, everybody get back. Everyone obviously goes flocking toward the cinema gate <laughs> and it just, the, the, the werewolf just charges through the metal, rips somebody's head off and it goes fl- flings it. And it hits the coat of the car and it yep. bounces off. Like that's like, that is just 
gratuitous comedic moments the this the pile up of the cars like that's fantastic humor and then even the fact that like i remember the first time watching this and we see what happens to the, to the wolf the werewolf and he just gets like jenny goes up jenny agator goes up to him and she's like i love you david and the wolf kind of like we see have the close-up of its like eyes and it's, and it's snout and it starts to relax then we cut back to her and then we cut back to like the teeth and like the jaws pulling back as they shoot it and the cops go running up to her and that's kind of the end of the movie yep. and we have the song play at the end i'm like that's great it's it's that it's this kind of again it's the irreverence of like nothing i don't want to say again rob knows this is my new favorite term or expression nothing matters but it's just the idea that like okay it happened like go home it's over it's it's that level of just like irreverence that i love that like nowadays it's just oh my god it's freaking everywhere it's been it's been destroyed by that sort of again again irreverence being the major word here that just permeates our culture nowadays but now but like in, in the early 80s i would imagine most people couldn't even tell you what that word meant without looking it up that is a good point i definitely see where you're coming from um i i just i guess when i watched that last bit, maybe that last final set piece where, you know, the werewolf gets loose, causes so much chaos on the London street. It, it is definitely restricted. Um, I think the movie knows, uh, the manslaughter knows how to contain the use of the monster, which I really liked, but I didn't, I didn't find it too comedic. I, I, but when you say it and you describe it, you know, the pile up of the cars and the head that was flying, I definitely see where you're coming from, but for some reason it didn't hit me in that way, if that makes sense. Well, no, it, it depends on what sort of lens you're looking at this as, because, like, I did, like, a bunch of John Landis, like, as Rob knows, I, for the last couple months, I've been fascinated with the uh, Twilight Zone incident, and so, like, I've done a bunch of, like, insights into, like, who John Landis is as a person, especially, like, where he was coming from at this point mm -hmm. in, in his career, and that's the thing, it's, like, it's it's irreverent cinema, like, he wanted to have that, like, at this point, John Landis was known as a comedic director, so he's trying to inject humor into this, but he's doing it very tongue in cheek. And that's the thing. Like there's so many one liners in this. It just kind of come out of nowhere. Like you referenced yeah. earlier, like I survived Rommel. I can survive Richard. So -and -so Another excruciating evening with Roger Matheson. <laughs> yeah. Then, and then like even at one point in his meeting with the two uh, Scotland Yard detectives, he gets a page on the intercom and like it's like oh mr because so-and-so matheson's on the phone for you tell him i'm not here but he says it's urgent tell him i'm dead what yes. <laughs> tell him i'm dead which i think is the best thing I, I i am going to use that from now on anytime says someone says somebody wants to talk to you i'm gonna tell them <laughs> tell them i'm dead it's like i i like it's like what tell them i'm dead say it louder than just hang up um i love that like, like that's something that again Nowadays, I could see Andy Samberg on Brooklyn Nine-Nine saying with a completely oh, different sure. tone to it. And it's just stupid, again, Parks and Rec office humor. Um, remember, folks, it still goes. I want you to know, a year later, if you like any of those NBC <laughs> sitcoms from the 2000s, you're an idiot. Like, I'm just letting you know, you're a moron. Like I said, I don't want to chase any listeners from the podcast, but I think you're an idiot if you like any of those shows. Zach's back. He's disenfranchising the listeners. It's yes, perfect. Yes. <laughs> I don't care if you don't subscribe to the Patreon or you stop listening. Don't don't watch The Office. It's stupid. No good. Very bad. Mess <laughs> you up. Oh, I don't need your $5. <laughs> <laughs>
Exactly. Um, but no, like that's the sort of thing. Like there's so many fantastic one-liners in this. Like even like when like they're in the the cinema or the porno theater and you have the fake porno going on and like it's the two people like by, about to get it on and the guy comes busting in it's like what did I tell you about doing this? And the guy's <laughs> like I've never seen you before, not you her. I've never seen you either. Oh. Well, I'm sorry then. He just walks out. I, I have to say I really did love that scene in the uh, porn theater. I, I'm sure there's some name, the Red Light District in London, who knows. But that whole concept of Griffin Dunn appearing for the last time, he's looking as decayed as possible. It's such a great thing to see. It's so macabre. And we get the scene of him and multiple dead people telling our main character to kill them himself while there's sounds of a porn movie playing in the background. I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, this movie, like, again, it's, it's, it's a sh- – oh, God, I don't know how I can even say this. Okay, Rob, what's the thing you say about – okay, we're going to drag this into it. R. <laughs> Kelly time. What's the thing you always say when it comes to R. Kelly? Um – That's a good good question. I have a lot to say about R. Kelly. Are you talking about like separating the art from the artist? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, are we separating the manslaughter from a good movie? (laughs) Yes. And that's the thing where it comes down to is like it's a shame that John Landis's career was indefinitely hamstrung after the the trial Mm -hmm. in the late 80s about this because he has such a fantastic sense of humor that it's a shame that like considering that we live in a generation now that truly appreciates these sort of things – that he can't get work anymore. Sure, sure. Because ju- I would say not until probably in the last 10 years that this sort of comedy is finally being appreciated. That's that's a good point. And, and there is something, uh, like I've mentioned, we've never done an episode on it, but I've mentioned before on, on Mike, on this podcast, that I am a big fan of Trading Places. And Trading Places was a movie of his after Twilight Zone, if I remember correctly. This is very different, though. And and it is kind of, I think, what you're getting at, that his his work on the Twilight Zone movie really shifted his career in, in, his, in a way that, you know, we might not fully understand. Is that what you're getting at? I'm getting at, I don't think the movie shifted his career, because after the movie, he did, like, Three Amigos, he did, like, other stuff. Sure. It was the trial. It was the trial that killed mm, his career. That's a good point, because I think... From what I know about the trial, it was like a nine-month trial. It was a long endeavor. It was. It was also like five years after the incident happened. Goddamn legal system. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like every time – like I didn't know about the John Landis helicopter thing until about a few years ago because anytime I heard his name, he was – he was Blues Brothers man. Yep. And he was Thriller. Like that was John Landis. He did the Blues Brothers and he did Thriller. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh – Okay, and then like when Timmy Spielberg, I mean Max Landis came out around that, and then he's been canceled too. Like he was like, oh, he was John. I'm like, I'm like, who's Max Landis? And it's like, oh, he's John Landis' son. And I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. That like the guy who directed the Thriller video, son would be like somebody like in Hollywood royalty. Yep. And then like I would like like I oh god, I don't know how much Rob knows about Max Landis for a while there that like he was like a truly fascinating person to like follow on social media because like he would just he would be like he'd dabble in all these different things like he show up on red letter media a few times and one of my favorite stories that he told on red letter media was how um people like on social media would tell him things so like he was hate 
Max Landis was hated in real life and on social media, and I think that's what kind of <laughs> did him in with me too. I think it was kind of like a scapegoat to get rid of him. Okay. Was it like people used to refer to him on social media as Timmy Spielberg, people in his social orbit. <laughs> and and then like I remember him telling a story on Red on one of the Red Letter Media episodes that he was featured on, where people on social media would tell him, Why didn't your father drop a helicopter on you? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> And like stuff like that though, but like Max Landis, like I'm not sure if Rob, considering Rob's the music person between the two of us, I'm not joking. I think did like a hundred page expose on the at, up until the time the entire discography and film canon of Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh my Jesus! <laughs> you didn't know about this? No, I don't. I don't really know a lot about Max Landis. I. I've never seen Chronicle. The only thing I think that he's written that I've seen is the Dirk Gently TV show. Yes. Um, I don't really know much else about him. He's uh, somebody that never really came into my field of vision, I guess. So, so yeah, I, I don't think I know about his... Um, Carly Rae Jepsen is the Call Me Maybe girl, right? <laughs> Yes, she is. And I, and the thing about it is, like, I loved her. Okay, this is a really weird tangent. But, like, I loved her first album. Then, like, she did more, like, electro 80 synth pop, which is fine, but it's not my alley. And then a couple of years ago, he actually did, like, a huge deep dive into her, all of her stuff, like, how every single one of her songs is about, like, Lemerance and, like, Unrequited Love. Mm-hmm. And he dissected every single song, like, with, like, five to six paragraphs each. Oh, and wow. I read the entire thing. And then, like, he went through every single one of her songs, even, like, unreleased tracks. And then, like, I think it was three or four months after he did this, like some of like more of her music that was like unreleased got like leaked to YouTube. And I remember like finding it and like, he would comment like in the comment section, like it'd be like this, like like video of a song that had like 300 views and he'd comment in it and be like, it follows the code. And like, it was so it, like, it was crazy. It felt like you were on this like a uh, treasure hunt, like going through like this, like mystery of like Carly Rae Jepsen music. And like when she released her latest album, like I was really hoping that like he would release something like continuing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't, and I, or I don't think he did. Maybe he did. I just couldn't find it. But like, I was like, Oh God. Then when he got canceled, like I really was like, like he was, somewhat unlikable like I, th- I actually talked to him a couple of times on twitter um but like he wasn't he was an unlikable person but he had a fascinating mind okay okay and that was the thing with him um and from what i've read about john landis you could very much tell he was his father's son um but no is that like i don't know where i was going with all this in, in context of john landis but like you could tell that john landis had that sort of mindset and it carried over to his son Okay, And that's where it's kind of a shame, again, when it comes to separating the art from the artist, that John Landis no longer has a platform to do any sort of media anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong there. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess I, I do want to mention, you know, with, with this uh, crazy kind of tangent structure we have going on in this first 20 minutes at least, uh, Rob and Zach are very much aware that John Landis did get acquitted at the trial. But just like so many people say, oh, we know OJ did it, he's still a manslaughterer to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just making that clear. (laughs) This is a weird hill for Rob to die on. Of all the things that Rob, like, defends, the thing that John Landis, like, again, you can't really argue with it. But, like, I'm shocked that Rob is like, like, you know what? I am labeling this person. I am not going to back down from it. I I, I, I can separate the art from the artist. I still like 
I love Trading Places. That's a very funny movie. I really enjoyed this film. But I cannot stand when I read, like, the John Landis interviews, and he's like, well, the, uh, the, the explosions expert or the special effects expert, he was never charged. And it's like, you stupid piece of shit. You were using oh, children off hours. You clearly broke the law, and you caused their death. Maybe involuntarily, that's fine. That's why I'm not calling him a murderer. He's a manslaughterer. So, so yeah, Zach, that's that's where we're going this month, over. Oh, oh, my God. I, again, of all, Rob is usually the more progressive one when it comes to these sort of things, and it's weird that he's he's not <laughs> circling the wagons. Just considering that we did Amazon Women on the Moon like a year ago, and this did not really come up at all. Yeah, that was more Dante and Bartel we had to talk about. <laughs> I know, I know. But, um, get back. But no, get... We don't have any cigarettes. <laughs> but, no, like getting back to American Werewolf in London, it, it's it's the idea that – this is a the it feels like starship troopers mm. that's kind of what this feels like when it comes to like looking at it under a normies perspective because like if you show starship troopers to a, a group of normies all they're gonna do is pick up on the gratuitous violence yes yeah that that is still one of those movies i think i said to you before zach where people miss the point especially, like, the end, you know? I, I love that moment when Neil Patrick Harris is like, it's afraid, and they all cheer. Like, that's a great satirical moment that I think people miss the point of in the face of that gratuitous violence. Exactly, and the fact that, like, people are like, oh, like, it's like look at all the wooden acting, and he casts horrible actors. It's like, no, that's the point. It's supposed to be Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> mixed with Vietnam. Like, that's that's the point. <laughs> mixed with Rue McClanahan. <laughs> well, well can't ever go wrong with rue uh, we love you rue baby but can you go back to the <laughs> nether world of the force no it's b arthur damn it i got it wrong. yeah 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 the, there's there's a that moment near the beginning of starship troopers that i i feel like is like the moment whether people are going to get it or not when what um casper van dean goes and he's like i'm gonna be in the infantry and the dude behind the desk is like the infantry made me the man i am today and it's revealed that he's like a quadriplegic you know yep and it's like if you don't get that you're not gonna get the rest of the movie no. Yeah, that's – and I think that's where this movie has the same problem and why I'm kind of shocked because I read Roger Ebert's review of this. I think it was dated in 2004, but he must have reviewed it at the time back in 81. Sure. Um, the review in, in 2004, at least dated 2004, says something like, oh, it's not a particularly good film besides the fact that like the special effects are great. Because it's like, oh, Landis doesn't care about the characters. He doesn't care about the story. He doesn't care about making a sensical plot. And I'm like it, – it kind of goes back to like that Stanley Kubrick quote that I, I referenced back in last year's Monstober where he was telling Steven Spielberg about Jack Nicholson The Shining where it's like, well – it depends on what you're going for. If that wasn't your intent to make a like a um, oh god, what would be the word to use a archetypal story? Sure, you can't take points away for that. Is that like if you go to a restaurant and you order a salad, you can't complain that it's a poor piece of meat? Is that like if that's not what was intended, you can't attack it for that? And I think that's what John Lance was going for. He was trying to do something very different. Like apparently he wrote this script when he was like 18 or 19 years old and it more or less sat on a shelf for like 10 years until he was allowed – until he had the clout to make this between Kentucky Fried Movie and Blues Brothers. Um, he, He always wanted to make this but it never came to fruition. And that's the thing. I think this film is meant to be – I don't want to say experimental because that's giving it too much credit. But I think it's meant to be boundary pushing when it comes to genres. 
And people at the time, I think, attacked it for that, not realizing that's what it was going for. Okay. I, yeah, I, I could see that. I, I really don't know the a lot of the history behind this movie, you know, back in the 80s. Um, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, does this movie have that same kind of, like, moment, like, in Starship Troopers, like you referenced? Like, is there that moment where you're, like, either on board with it as a black comedy? It has to be when Griffin Dunn shows up, right? As, as, the, the, as the, the, the decaying the corpse. corpse. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, either that, or I would probably also reference the... Um, near the beginning when they get to the the pub, the slaughtered lamb, and you, you can tell something weird is going on, and it's almost overtly so. I, I think that's that's another moment in this movie where it's like either you're on board for it or you're not, because I think that's where we get a little, or I started to notice that tongue-in-cheek sense you were mentioning before. Oh, definitely, and I think that's why everything up until the hospital is meant to be that. Sure. I think because like even we have a point in here, which in, this is the thing, too, with this movie is that it's also you can tell that it was written by I'm pretty sure John Landis is Jewish, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you Rob, you're the research person like you research, especially your your fascination with him over all these different like films that he's done. <laughs> You're calling him a goddamn manslaughter. You know That's what religion he subscribes to. He killed children. I don't care what religion he is. <laughs> I don't I, – I feel like when you said that you're like, John Landis is Jewish, right? I was like, oh my god, maybe I shouldn't answer this. <laughs> maybe this is Alexa, the worst thing I've said. <laughs> is John Landis Jewish? John Landis is religion's atheism. Oh. Yeah, I, atheism. Atheism. <laughs> okay, well, there you Alexa, go. what's the dance from <laughs> – Alice in Wonderland called. <laughs> oh God! The Nutter Butter. <laughs> no, I don't want her knowing that. Oh God! I'm gonna get so many weird things now on my recommendations for John Landis. Um, okay, we oh, are, wait, wait, okay. Wait, wait, wait. That's uh, that's the end of this week's episode, everybody. We just uh, broke cinemodities. <laughs> yes, I was gonna ask her if John Landis is a, is a manslaughter. Um, but we all know the answer to that, right? How folks? many children did John Landis kill, Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> oh god um but no the point of this being is that was like there's a lot of like jewish undertones in this like there's like i think about it. you have the comment about the one character being circumcised griffin dunn's always like using all these like jewish oh, terms like like uh, don't be that. a pot don't I be checked, a pot yeah <laughs> and that's the thing though like I, I i know that one reference where the nurse is like oh he's jewish well how do you know well what do you think i checked and it's like <laughs> oh it's very common for men nowadays um like that I found like amusing. Like again, that's a subtle moment, but I think it really has to be when we first see the the look of Griffin Dunn and he's just really like falling apart. Like it's I have to say that's maybe the more you know he gets more macabre. I think that is the most grotesque grotesque moment because that's when he's the most human still. Yes, and I really love that we get those like close ups, his face in full frame. And you can see the skin hanging off of his face where the werewolf, like, uh, shanked him, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it is just so gruesome. And as he decays more and more and looks more like a zombie, I love that as well. But you're absolutely right that we never get to see, like, the skin hanging off his face again. Oh, yeah. Now, they make, because on my Blu ray of this, in the, like, there's like a 90 minute behind the scenes thing. Oh, wow. Which, okay. they, don't, which they don't do anymore. But it's, 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 
very informative, but it's not very entertaining. It's it's very matter of fact. They talk about because Rick Baker, who did the special effects, yeah. legendary uh, makeup effects artist uh, Rick Baker, um, he talks about like in that moment where you have like, the one piece of flesh, like flesh that's dangling, is that like apparently there was some like just like a little bit of moisture that just clung to it, and that's what gave it the little extra amount of weight to make it dangle. But that was it was apparently a happy accident. Nice, nice. It it works. I I really liked that, you know. And I mean, I really like looking at it. I was kind of torn as I was telling Zach before um we started recording that I was not the first time I watched this movie, I was not in the right headspace and I was kind of thrown for a loop that Griffin Dunn was like, "You got to die. You got to kill yourself, man." And I'm like, "No." <laughs> well, that's the thing though. Is that like I guess I like, like you know, he's gonna turn to a werewolf. Like, yeah. like it's kind of like a fait accompli. Ever since like David's sitting there, and like he sees the other guy, like the original werewolf, kind of transform back, and you see him sit there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, again, mm-hmm. fait accompli. Um, the title is a fait accompli. Exactly. I, that's what I was about to mention. Yeah. I mean, I would have been even more shocked if in an American werewolf in London we don't see a werewolf. <laughs> sure, but you know, the, like he has to die. Like that's the thing. So, like, okay, how are you? What's I guess again? It, there's a lot of twists and turns in this that, by today's standards, aren't that twist and turvy, or maybe to the uninitiated yeah. Bob's case that don't aren't expecting it. Uh, but like that's the thing. It's like you're wondering, like, okay, how are they going to off him? Because there's no, I don't think there's such a thing as a werewolf movie where the werewolf lives in the end. I don't think that's mm. kind of a, a, a trope that I don't want to say it's a trope. I hate that word. Um, I think that's a, a plot beat that just very rarely is reversed. The werewolf always has to die in the end. Sure. Um, it's it, it's it's the tra- tra- was it the uh, tragic hero, and because usually they're sympathetic heroes too. The the werewolf characters, but no, like there is a lot of that where it's like, okay, you have to kill yourself, and that's a fun one. Again, the idea of having the friend who was mauled. The comedic relief who's mauled what in the first 20 minutes of the movie yep. come back and tell the protagonist you have to off yourself. That's some great dark humor. Sure, sure. I just want – um, you know, as Zach and I are discussing this in real time, when I go and edit this, however many weeks it is from now, I am going to take that little clip that you just said and save it. You said – he said <laughs> – Griffin Dunn says you should kill yourself. That's a fun one. <laughs> that's one way to think about it zach (laughs) it is fun like it's it's such i guess people have to realize that like i have a very morbid sense of humor so anything that's like (laughs) like that is again scratches my itch son like that is like i love that like there's a couple of times where like this is later and much later in the film where he's in the porno theater griffin dunn's there and all the other people that that David is killed. They're sitting in the theater, yep. and they're kind of just like. And Rob will probably insert the clip after this, but like they're bickering back and forth. It's like he he goes, "Oh God!" He's telling them like they're, they're like all different ways he can kill himself. Like he's like, "You can put a gun, like, you can put a gun to your head, or you put it in your mouth so you don't miss, or you can hang yourself." Well, we don't want it to hurt him, and it's like that could be painful if you mess it up. <laughs> yep. And it's like, and then one of the bums turns around. It's like, "Good, it should hurt," and like that's. The- Hi, Jack. Hi, David. What are you doing here? You promised never to do this kind of thing again. I never promised you any such thing. Not you, you Twitter. I've never seen you before in my life. Oh, sorry. Good movie. Mm-hmm. What can I say, Jack? 
You don't have to say anything, David. Aren't you gonna say I told you so? If I were still alive, I probably would. But I did tell you so, you schmuck. You look awful. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't even know if it was me that killed those people last night. I don't remember doing it. What about the zoo? Well, even if I'm not the wolf man, I'm crazy enough to do something like that. And look at me. Here I sit in a porno theater in Piccadilly Circus talking to a corpse. I'm actually glad to see you, Jack. I want you to meet some people. David Kessler, this is Gerald Bringsley. Gerald's the man you murdered on the subway. We thought it best for you not to see him, as he's a fresh kill and still pretty messy. Yes. I do look most unpleasant. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't Mr. Goodman's idea. He's your good friend, whereas I am a victim of your carnivorous lunar activities. Mr. Bringsley, I'm sorry. I have absolutely no idea what to say to you. You've left my wife a widow, and my children fatherless. And I understand I am to walk the earth in limbo, one of the living dead, until the wolf's bloodline is severed and the curse lifted. You must die, David Kessler. David, this is Harry Berman and his fiancée, Judith Browns. Hello. Hello. And these gentlemen are Alf, Ted, and Joseph. Can't say we're pleased to meet you, Mr. Kessler. What shall I do? Suicide. You must take your own life. That's easy for you to say you're, you're already dead. No, David. Harry and I and everyone you murder are not dead. The undead. Why are you doing this to me? Because this must be stopped. How shall I do it? Sleeping pills. Not sure enough. I could hang myself. No. No, if you did it wrong, it could be painful. You'd choke to death. So what? Let him choke. Do you mind? The man's a friend of mine. Well, he ain't no friend to me. Gentlemen, please. The gun! I don't know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? Madness. No, a gun would be good. Yes, you just put the gun to your forehead and pull the trigger. But if you put it in your mouth, you'd be sure not to miss. Thank you. You're all so thoughtful. A knife. An electric shock. A car crash. You could throw yourself in front of a tube. Drowning. No, you're not. Like, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, it's, I, uh, it's great humor. It's fantastic. Like we need more. Like that's the things. Like people are so sensitive nowadays. We need more of that morbid, like morbid sensibilities. <laughs> this is why I love having you back, Zach. <laughs> this is Monstover in in its full form. <laughs> I'm gonna give probably the most Monstover macabre dark humor story I could ever give to somebody. Ooh. I guess I, Rob's heard this story but the audience clearly hasn't was that in a part of my, one of the many reasons for my cinematis absence in the, uh, as Rob coin uh, phrased it, Zach is having a rough year. <laughs> um, yes. Which is an understatement. <laughs> um, like my mother passed away this year 
after both my parents are now dead. And so I, the, the manager of the funeral home, I ta- I never met him when my father died. He was the person I mostly dealt with when my mother died. So I went to the funeral home to pick up her remains, finally got to meet him. And as I'm meeting him, he introduces himself. I'm like, oh, it's nice to meet you. It's nice to know that you're more than just a disembodied voice. And everybody around me just kind of awkwardly looks at each other, not knowing how to react. And I had to turn around. I'm like, folks, we're in a funeral home. I've been here twice in less than four <laughs> years under the age of 30. If we're not allowed to laugh at this, nobody's allowed to. It's like that's the thing that people have to realize. You have to have a dark sense of humor to enjoy anything in life. Um, and that's the thing I tell people. So, like, people have to realize, like, I have a dark sense of humor. Um, I've, I don't know if I've always been that way. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, Rob, Rob, have I always had a dark sense of humor? Well, I mean – I. Honestly, I think that's kind of probably why we gravitated towards each other as friends. We both have a very weird sense of humor, and not to mention my mother as well, who just hates everybody in the universe. (laughs) So I think, yes, it's definitely gotten darker over the years, as I think my own sense of humor has as well. Um, and it's why we love you, Zach. <laughs> I guess after after everything that's happened in my life, Rob, I, I, one of the first times Rob called me after like after the first like few weeks this all happened, he's like, "How are you doing?" And my my knee jerk response was, <laughs> "I hid all the bungee cords." And <laughs> and Rob died laughing because the joke has been. I, before my mother died, was I was going to hang myself with bungee cords. And then the first thing I told Rob after the second thing that happened was I hid the bungee cords. Yeah, that was that was a great conversation because I'm pretty sure I was like waiting for you to call me so we could have a real conversation. And then the moment you call me, a tree falls on my car. And I'm like, Zach, I'm sorry. I need to call you back in like five minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. The other weird part is we're having that conversation. I was having it at work. That was the weird thing too, where I'm making all these, like, that's the thing too. Like I make jokes at my own job about being quasi suicide. Like what's it? It's not, I'm not suicidal. I'm just very open to my own death happening. So like people will say things and they'll be like, Oh, you can hurt. It's like, Oh, you can hurt yourself. I'm like, good. Just do it right. I'm like, (laughs) and and people don't know how to react to that sort of thing. Um, and that's why I think like, – and that's the thing maybe I should do more of a deep dive into John Landis as a person. I don't know – like he apparently never graduated from high school. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. So I don't know what happened in John Landis's life where he's just maybe, may, maybe so – oh, God. How do I phrase this? He's very loose and fast with life. And maybe that's why he's a manslaughterer. It's the idea that like he just doesn't put that much weight to life sure. or the existence of it or just existing in general, um, which is something that I'm definitely cruising down the highway toward. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's why this film resonates with me in a way that like it, it I think maybe the fact that like when I ever when I did see it in its a uh, entirety the first time and when I purchased it, it was around my father's death. I think maybe in a subconscious way that's why we're doing it this monstober. Sure. Um maybe there's some sort of subconscious connection to just death in my own life when it comes to this movie. Um, but still like even the whole idea of having uh, Jenny Agater be like, I love you to her boyfriend werewolf. Like the fact that she's turned on by it. Like, I don't know if she's like that. We got to talk about her character. Cause she's a, like it's weird. She's like oddly on the outside of the whole werewolf thing. Yes. So I don't know, Rob. So like, where do how, how do you, okay. 
you said you admired this film more than probably liking it or loving it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, on the on the character uh, Jenny Egger's character, I do have to say she starts as a fantastic character. I really don't like how she falls into the once again 1981. I'm looking at it from 2020 eyes. I don't like how she falls into the the true love interest. There's something that I wanted to bring up about her character that might be revelatory in the sense of Rob for both Zach and our and our audience. She is an angry woman at the start of this movie. Like, she is an angry, sexy nurse. And what does anger lead you to do? It leads you to have stress. How do you relieve stress? You smoke cigarettes. Oh, God. I think that I have realized... Smoking cigarettes might not be the thing that really turns me on, but I like an angry woman, and she is angry in this movie. But then she devolves into the, oh, like the, the doe-eyed, soft, oh, he's here, he's here, I mean, he's not a werewolf, I swear I love him. But man, when she's just pissed off at the beginning of this movie, she's an angry, sexy nurse, I loved it. <laughs> We do have I, – I, I have to say that she is unbelievably gorgeous in this film. Oh, it's it's fantastic, man. When, when she's just yelling at him in the beginning, I'm so on board. <laughs> well, like even – like my first introduction to Jenny Agutter was in The Avengers. If you remember, she's part of the Security World Council. Oh, God. I do yes. not remember. <laughs> with, along with Powers Booth, because Joss Whedon just loved throwing these weird act, like these kind of like <laughs> weird character actors in there. And then she's also in Captain America: The Winter Soldier because Black Widow's impersonating her, and so like Jenny Agutter has an action scene. Oh wow! Yeah, I would never have remembered this. Zach. <laughs> yes, that was my first introduction to her. So like, when I knew she was in this, I'm like, oh okay. Like, Is she Jenny the Agutter. character that looks at the camera and says, "Buy the next ticket, morons." <laughs> That's every character, Rob. Hey, every character. <laughs> Except unless a coronavirus breaks out. Then Marvel says, no, we don't want you buying your next ticket. Uh, remember, folks, Zach was excited for the Black Widow movie. Zach, Zach was so starred for movies, he was excited for a Marvel film. This is where I am. Stockholm Syndrome, folks. Yes. <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. I'm going to just have to go see Tenet again to survive. Um, how many times will Zach see Tenet in 2020? I may never know. <laughs> Every time you uh, see it, there's more women in the movie. You've seen it, what, twice now? There's eight women yeah. total. <laughs> <laughs> so many turnstiles. I just keep going through the turn. I'm not even sure if I'm seeing the movie. I'm just going through the turnstiles and seeing it backwards. I love the fact – I just have to mention that, um, you know, back – a week ago when, when Rob, Zach, and Ben talked about Goosebumps. It's not on recording. Three, but I, three weeks ago. Three I weeks love, ago when you heard it. Yes, I love the fact that with no provocation, Ben was like, why is Elizabeth Debicki so tall? <laughs> 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 like, nobody can get past that fact about Elizabeth Debicki, and I love it. <laughs> she is like, you know the problem is that it's not that she's tall. He put her in, like, four-inch heels. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did yeah. that on purpose. Yep. Absolutely. He's, uh, like you said in the episode, like I agreed, he's never had sex with a woman. <laughs> no, he is not. <laughs> so um, he only knows heels. But yeah, back to Jenny Agutter and how uh, I agree with you completely. She is fantastic in this movie. And I think that me liking women smoking cigarettes is a byproduct of me liking angry women. <laughs> okay. Okay. The more you know, folks, the more you know. If you had a uh, figuring out Rob's uh, <laughs> desires and women on your cinema audience bingo card, please come forward. Yes, if we have any listeners that uh, have a crush on me, 
contact me through email in all caps and be very angry. Apparently, I'll like it. <laughs> and at the end, put the cigarette emoji if there is one. Oh god. <laughs> um. But no, like, and then like, as like, I remember the first time watching this movie, I'm like, God, she is gorgeous. Like, even when she's getting stabbed by the Nazi demon, I'm like, damn, this is hot. I just, oh, like, I just she part has where fantastic she's eyes. Get, yeah. That too. But like, when she's getting stabbed by the Nazi demon, like, she does this like weird little like jerk with her body each time. And I'm like, why, why is this, why is this arousing me? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why. And then like, we get Jenny Agater like prolonged sex scene. And I'm like, he might be he might be a manslaughterer, but he's giving the audience <laughs> what they want. No, it, it's it's a fantastic performance. Even though I might not like when she becomes full on love interest, I think she still, you know, does does the part well. Especially like you mentioned at the end when she's you know expressing her love to the werewolf. That all works for me. Yeah, no, it's like she's giving a competent performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, she's doing her job. And that's like I don't think yes, her. I can't say that her role devolves because I think her role is just there as love interest. Sure. But she's also meant to be there is just more of a – like that's the thing. Like I feel like she's there because when John Landis was writing this, he's like, OK, I need a love interest character. Because mm, mm-hmm. I don't think it devolves because I don't think it was ever meant to be more than that. Well, I – this is something I wanted to bring up specifically regarding her part is because – uh, something that stood out to me about this movie was we get this maybe, I don't know, 40 minutes in. It's not a very long movie. I, I might be misremembering the timestamp. But when when they, uh, David and Sexy Angry Nurse, they actually start, you know, <laughs> spending time together. We do get a scene where she's like, I have to go off to work and he's stuck at home being bored. And I'm yep. like, that's a very interesting role reversal, I would imagine, for the 80s. Did you have any thoughts on that? No, it's no, it's interesting. And I think part of that is, too, is the fact that, like, he's the uh, the the American loner. and yeah. like, Not loner, but, like, like, he's alone. Like, obviously, there's nowhere for him to go. I'm reading. I'm actually – I found it in my notes. I actually wrote, I think there is something to be said about the sexy, angry nurse going off to work and the man being bored at home. I called her sexy, angry nurse in my nurse notes. In note. <laughs> Rob, are, are, are you wrong? No, not at all. She's a sexy, angry nurse. <laughs> she is an angry nurse. But, like, that's the thing. Like, I think she was always meant to – I think maybe – I don't want to say you're misinterpreting her character. Mm-hmm. But I think there was meant to be romantic friction, and then it kind of transitions into just lovey-dovey. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it is. I think her initial contact with him – is meant to be more again like is at one point like he's sitting there like he won't eat so she gets on the bed with him and like nudge like forcibly nudges him aside and she starts cutting and putting the food into his mouth yep and i think that's meant to be again your 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 romantic friction transitions into like oh she cares about him but like there's one scene i want there's like a couple of lines of dialogue that like much like we as we pointed out like when it comes to directors putting things in movies that feel like them low-key getting out their own like Oh God, unrequited sexual frustrations, whether it be <laughs> sure. Matthew Bright and Ted Bundy or Christopher Nolan, just anytime he has a female character. Um, <laughs> I've never it's, seen a it's, vagina. <laughs> it's the idea that like at one point when like she brings him back to her apartment and she's like, David, I've only been with seven men. It's like three of them are four or three. What was it? Three oh, or four yeah. of them are one night stands. And I'm like, this is re- really weirdly specific. And it has no context in the film. Like there's no reason why <laughs> th- it's so specific. And I don't get why. And the only things I can think of is either a, 
John Landis was told this one point in his life by a woman and he found it fascinating that he wanted to include it or B John Landis has some sexual. Oh God. What would you say? I don't want to say that fet- fetish isn't the right word, uh, but just sexual attract, like attraction to the idea of a woman just laying out her sexual history in okay. such a matter of fact way. Okay. And I think like, I don't know what it is, but like, I found that, like that line not that it's off-putting it's certainly unique but i found it odd in considering everything else that happens in the movie with her no that that's a good point i that was something that i um you know you just reminded me of that scene it is very out of place and i think that is the transition moment from her going from angry sexy nurse to love interest at least in what i was considering it as Angry, sexy nurse. That should be a by Spirit <laughs> Halloween. And all is the nurse costume, and it comes with a cigarette butt. <laughs> I don't have a lot of snacks for this movie, but that's going to come back up when we get to the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Folks. It's going to be great. something. Uh, I, I don't do it often, but now that Zach's back, I have to. Uh, we're going to get to uh, something for just Zach and I, and it's going to okay, involve a sexy, angry nurse. <laughs> As long as it's Jenny Agutter, circa 1980s, as the sexy, angry nurse, I am okay with it. Because, like I said, that she is gorgeous in this movie. Oh, like yeah. this is like almost Rob, like Lucy Liu level. Like I am that hung up in this movie. <laughs> what was the other movie where I was really hung up with a woman? It doesn't happen a lot on Cinemodies. Um. Oh yeah. What? What was it? it wasn't. Um. There's a movie with a woman. I'm like Rob. I am in love. And I can't think of what it was. Like yeah. I know it's not Cameron Diaz in Vanilla Sky, despite the fact how much I love that character. <laughs> I swallowed your cum. It means something. (laughs) Was it Anna de Armas in Blade Runner 2049? No. Uh, Maybe? No, 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 I love Anna de Armas in Blade Runner 2049 because she is a gorgeous woman. No, that was – yes, but for a different (laughs) – it's not on the same level. No, Anna de Armas is incredible. That's a story. If we ever end up talking about something else that she's done, then we'll get into that. I only want to see her vomiting in Knives Out. Like, Rob gets a super cut of 10 hours on YouTube of Anna Armish's vomiting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it, it's a, this is, this is a weird thing to bring up, but yeah, we've had some Te- affinity for supporta. random women. Like, I remember Unsolved Mysteries, I love Rhonda Boussalot and her voice. <laughs> it goes that far back. I mean, Rhonda Boussalot doesn't hold a candle to the Miracle Buffalo, don't get me wrong, but, uh. <laughs> no, Rob, nothing will ever hold a candle to, to the Miracle Buffalo. Miracle. The Miracle Buffalo. <laughs> So, yeah, I I can't place it. For some reason, I guess since it was kind of recent, earlier this year, the Blade Runner 2049 discussion, I don't remember any other scenario of women that you enjoyed. I mean, because I know we don't share the cigarette thing. I'm thinking that yeah. more <laughs> for me. <laughs> I know I like Britt Robertson from Tomorrowland. I like her. Oh, oh that's God. right. That's a, she's a very stupid person in that movie. Yep. <laughs> Indeed, she is. Um, definitely not Dr. Sleep, definitely not Ted Bundy. Oh, you like Hat Lady in Dr. Sleep. Don't get us, don't, don't, don't mess woman with Woman the Zach. Hat. Woman, woman the, the hat. hat, the Hat, the Woman. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, try. It's good try. Wasn't, wasn't Natalie Portman in Vox Lux? Are you retarded? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I I'm don't literally know. going to the Cinematis can. Spring Breakers, maybe. <laughs> Zach's like, let me pull up the spreadsheet. I need Alita, ba- Alita Rob, Battle Angel. That's Rob and Zach are, are in objectifying women corner right now. <laughs> this guy drives me nuts. There was some woman that like, I was really hung up with, and like I don't remember what it was now. It's like it's trying it's gonna drive me nuts. Yeah, I nothing's coming. I'm not looking at the spreadsheet, but nothing is coming to mind. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Jurassic, maybe it's the indoor raptor from Jurassic World <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> oh, I think it might not be Cinemonity, Zach. You liked Claire Forlani in Meet yes! Joe Black. Yes, Claire Forlani. Yes, from Meet Joe Black. Yeah, that's why we weren't yes. hitting it because that is the yes, Cinemonity's crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's what it is. That's what it was. Thank you. Yes, I love Claire Forlani. And I, ha- and I think Rob would say Claire Forlani in Meet Joe Black and Jenny Agner in American Werewolf in London, there is some resemblance there. Like there is oh, yeah, not yeah. a lot, but there's some passing resemblance there. And I'm like, Zach's got a type, folks. I'm glad I remember that because it came back to me that you really liked her and it will always stick in my head that I had to blast my television to hear a single (laughs) word she said. (laughs) You're right, Rob. That's what it was. It's it's a Rob conversation, but it's on the Star Wars podcast. Yeah, yeah. Meet Joe Black, a discussion in two parts, I think is what we called it. (laughs) Yes. Ladies, go pull up a picture of Claire Forlani from Meet Joe Black and then Jenny Agater from American Werewolf in London. Then look at yourself in the mirror and go back and forth for a couple minutes. And if either one of those resemble you, cinemodies at (laughs) gmail.com. Rob, Rob will pass on the message to me. And men, look up the scene where Brad Pitt gets hit by 80 cars. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that I also love Ryan Gosling. So like, yes, that's in true. men out there, if you look like Ryan Gosling, pull a picture of him on your phone. It doesn't matter which movie it's from. Look in the mirror. Look back a couple of times. Cinelotis at gmail.com. It, it could Rob be when he's 15 in Goosebumps. <laughs> Noel, let's go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's hey, not yo. get ahead of ourselves. Cinemodis does not condone pedophilia. We are not the new season of Law and Order. Hey, Cinemodis. speaking of me, Joe Black, uh, I have a secret, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I think uh, as a transition to something back in uh, an American werewolf in London, <laughs> I, I do want to mention, and Zach, you are going to be proud of me. You're going to roll your eyes, but I think you're going to be proud of me because now what? We're almost 50 an hour minutes into this conversation. I could have done this at the start. But I held back. I restrained myself. We're talking about Jenny Agater, but we have to talk about our main character, David Naughton. Oh, God. Are you ready for this, Zach? I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to sing it. Oh, God. You're the cat's meow. Meow. Yeah, you're neater than a cheetah. You're an opossum with whom my love could blossom eternally. Because, baby, you bring out the beast in me. You're the cat's meow. Meow. I mean, you're neater than a cheetah. <sighs> you are the feline to whom I make a feline immediately. Cause, baby, you bring out the beast in me. <sighs> you're the cock of the walk. <laughs> you're just as regal as an eagle. <laughs> a pterodactyl. With whom I could be tactile, believe you me. Cause, baby, you bring out the beast in me. When it comes to the animal urge, no one can equal mine. For with you, the urge to merge is working overtime. You got me frisky as a pup. You got me lower than a boa. You're an opossum with whom my love could blossom in any tree. Cause, baby, you bring out the beast in me. Now, now, this is my big solo. 
animals are so absurd. When it comes to romance, it's all true, those things you've heard. Animals just wanna dance! David Naughton is Barry Denver, the photographer from Paul Bartels, not for publication. I'm going to play the song again, folks. <laughs> I love him because of not for publication. I honestly think he does a fantastic job in this movie as a lead role. I would have liked to see more Griffin Dunn because I think this podcast knows I really, really like Griffin Dunn, especially After Hours, the best Scorsese film. But I have no problem with David Naughton as our American werewolf. What did you think about him? And baby, do you bring the beast out in me? <laughs> oh my god, I thought I'd never have to hear that again. Oh baby, god, remember, I think the Paul Bartel series might... <laughs> <laughs> See folks, he is the Griffin, and I am the Dave in the blank check. This oh is, no, I don't want... bring this up you again, are, Ben's not here! <laughs> you, are, you are Griffin, you are the Griffin Newman of Cinematis, and I want you to be aware of that. I, uh, I have to say that when I edited the Goosebumps episode, I, I did... We do like four minutes on blank check. I put it at the end because Ben is so fucking confused about what we're discussing <laughs> and that it makes no sense. But I left in. It's basically there's a there's a beep. And then I go, Zach, you make me depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Folks, God. I didn't know because now Rob has the power of editing where I, Rob can now do what I did when it came to Wolf of Wall Street and Skinwalker. <laughs> he has the power of the editing button, the editing suite now. Why do you so make I me think about this? It, is Pixar to Griffin as Animal Collective is to Rob? <laughs> yes. Yes. I yes. hate this, Zach. Well, I've, like I said in the Goosebumps episode, I've spent so long trying to differentiate us from Blank Jack, and it's come full circle after two it and is. a half years. I, want, I don't know if Rob ever did this. At one point, I forget what series that Blank Jack was doing, but I think it was their um, – oh, my lord. Um, oh, god. Who's the – okay, the three producers of the – I don't know why this is why I remember him. The three producers of The Simpsons – Sam Simon, Matt Groening, and what was it, Brooke, James Brooks? Yeah, James, James L. Brooks, yeah. Yeah, James L. They did the James L. Brooks series, and there's one of the movies where at the end, I, there's, Griffin keeps singing a song from one of the movies, and it drove David up a wall every time he would do this. <laughs> oh my god, no! And this is it, and this is it. We are blank check now, Rob. Oh, we've, we have reached our, we've reached peak blank check. You're the comedic relief. You're eventually like at some point you're going to leave and go off and do another version of the tick where you get to play Arthur and I'm going to be a film critic that lives in New York. So we're already there. We're already there, Rob. I, I just uh, want you to know that. I don't like that. You're right, Zach. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to our, our titular werewolf character, 
I he's a pretty good straight man in this. Um, he has a think about it, he's got to be tortured, but he also has to be the straight man. Sure. So he's got a kind of like a very narrow window to work within. Um, I I think everybody in this movie does a great job. I think every everybody does their part. Um, in a movie that's filled with comedic moments, really only him and sexy angry nurse are the only two characters that don't have a wide like comedic range. And I think both of them do a like a. I don't want to say they do a great job, but they work well within their window. They're not trying to ham it up. Um, clearly, he's given what David's given a couple of really good witty one-liners. Sure, when he is given humor, it has to be very kind of like dry and, and witty, as opposed to like kind of the, the yucks that Griffin Newman does. Not Griffin. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Griffin Dunn does. Oh my god. <laughs> It's, it's, it's hey, blank check, blank check doesn't talk about women smoking cigarettes as far as I know, so we got that they on They don't. <laughs> no, we are nowhere near as progressive as uh, uh, blank check is. Um, if only the Ben Deucer were here. <laughs> he, he, would be, he would once again say, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, no, you, you bring up boy. a good point where there is th- this comedic sense, and, and on that notion, I wanted to talk to you about a moment that I felt was out of place in the movie. It is played for laughs, but it's when the secondary detective has, like, the slapstick portion where he's knocking over the the bedpans or the, the metal trays or whatever. That did not work for me. I thought that was the most overtly comical piece in the film that didn't fit. Do you know what I'm referencing? Yeah, because it's too slapsticky in a film that's more or less... It's more witty than, than yeah, slapsticky. Yeah, witty is a good way to put it, and this was just so over-the-top loud noise comedy that didn't fit with this film yeah but again there's also moments in that too like again we get the slapstickiness but it's more veiled like during the piccadilly circus like car like pile up sure sure. so it's there it's just stylized differently yeah that that's that's a really good way to describe it for sure it just stood out to me because it's it's near the beginning of the film it's from this secondary detective that we don't really have a lot of context with in the sense of the film so far not that we ever get it but it's just kind of like i I guess i was watching it and the way i was thinking of it is who is this person what is he doing why am i just watching loud noises happen for comedic effect it was very out of place i thought but I think there's all – it's weird because we have the doctor character who more or less plays the detective character at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And I just wonder, like, considering how, like, throughout this film – again, I don't know about the rest of the John Landis canon, but, like, the police are rather impotent in this. And they're almost like a laughing stock because we have the moment in the film where David and sexy, angry nurse – at this point, she's not as uh, angry. She's still <laughs> sexy, but she's not angry. Yes. And so so like he goes up to a Bobby and he's like saying all these different things, trying to deliberately be locked up. And the police officer just like doesn't like this keeps telling him move along. Yeah, doesn't and he say it. something like the queen deserves to die or something like that? <laughs> oh god, I have the exact quote ready. Let me let me get the exact quote. Um oh god, where is it? He says something about the queen in a negative light. <laughs> yes, he does. He goes, Queen Elizabeth is a man, Prince Charles is a f- Winston Churchill was full of shit. Shakespeare's French. Yes. <laughs> the queen is a man. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like the police are really, again, they're like, you would think that like you would take, cause considering that you have sexy, angry nurse, you really don't need the doctor character on top of that. You think you would kind of 
merge sexy angry nurse with the idea with her being the main medical professional in this okay and then give the role of the person investigating the claims to the actual like detective and it's like no it's like we were going to make the doctor who's more or less the the voice of reason the voice of sanity in this and make him the detective Mm -hmm. and he kind of just like after he tells sexy angry nurse to bring david in he more or less disappears from the film right yeah definitely i mean i i feel like his point is to fully reveal to the audience that David is a werewolf, and then he kind of disappears. Because yeah. we, we get him, you know, like you said, that's a really good way to put it, actually, is that he's more of a detective than anybody else in the movie, including our detectives, who are bumbling fools, you know, in that scene we already discussed with the loud noise comedy. But we get the whole scene where, you know, the doctor goes to the slaughtered lamb, and he's and he's investigating kind of what happened on the night of the incident and things like that. And it it fits in the movie. It's just almost in service of the audience, if that makes sense. Oh, exactly. No, like I said, you do you, – again, this was meant for, like, mass audiences. This wasn't meant to be something that required uh, a certain, like, point of en- – like, an elevated point of entry that you had to kind of yeah. think extra hard about, though. But, no, it's – it's weird that like you need like obviously we all know what's going to happen based on what Griffin Dunn keeps telling him. Sure. So it's weird that we had the element where one specific character is like like it's it's a weird B plot. Yeah, and I do have to mention because I made a note about it that that when our doctor is going into detective mode and it's before he gets to the slaughtered lamb, I think he's like in his car and he's driving around to find the pub. He has to roll his window down to read a road sign. Did you pick up on that? <laughs> I did not. I don't get it why he has to cuz it's it's Britain. They're driving on the wrong side of the road. I don't think I'm allowed to say wrong, but I will. And he has to lean over and roll down a window and then there's a shot of a road sign and then it cuts back to him rolling the window back up and I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> yeah, I I I didn't even pick up on that in all honesty. I'm kind of embarrassed now. I, I don't need to roll my window down to read road signs. <laughs> I don't know if Britain, Britain people, British people are any different. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Like every time you get to a stop, so you have to roll the window down, look at it, and you make the turn. People are blowing your horn at you. It's like, <laughs> nope, nope, there's rules, damn it. <laughs> so, Rob, what did you think of the special – what did you think of the werewolf in this? Not just the special effects, but like the werewolf design and just like when we do get our like attacks. The werewolf itself – I was a little underwhelmed. I loved the transformation scene, though. I loved the extension of the limbs and the the growing of the hands and things like that. But when we actually saw the werewolf proper, I felt a little underwhelmed that it was just a wolf. And I mean, maybe I am spoiled because we've seen so many different werewolves over the years, and I was expecting something a little more a mix between a man and a wolf. And when we got just a straight wolf, it was something I wasn't expecting. But that transformation scene, I love the fact, like I mentioned earlier, that we have to wait an hour for the to get a transformation scene, and it is Cronenberg body horror. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's, it's, yes, it's very elaborate, and you could tell that when they, because in the behind-the-scenes features for this, it says, like, when, when, oh, God, I almost said Rob Oteen. When <laughs> oh my God, Rick Baker. When John Landis, because John Landis and Rick Baker were friends for years. For yeah. John Landis's first film, Schlock, where he's a man in a gorilla costume, um, Rick Baker was involved with that. And like 
John Landis told Rick Baker that he had this werewolf movie in mind for years. So like when John Landis was finally getting this movie made, and it should be pointed out that a producer on this film was John Peters, yep. which we all know from Wild Wild West. <laughs> Another callback to that film. Um, over is fun, folks. All these weird callbacks to these movies. That can't be said. That's folks. getting that's, bleeped out. That's getting that's, saved in the archives, but that's not <laughs> making it in the episode. <laughs> but, um, but no, so like you have, like, he's producing this. I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with this? Oh, um, no, that was a sidetrack. No, so anyway, though, when John Landis finally was got the money to go ahead with this, he called Rick Baker up and he's like, Rick, like, we're finally making the movie. I need you. And Rick Baker's like, oh, crap, I'm working on The Howling. And mm. it's like, and John Landis was furious because apparently John Landis has a horrible temper in real life. Oh, okay. Um, you didn't know that? Oh, I no, he's a manslaughter. That's what I know about John Landis. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you telling me that his children actors that he was using off hours illegally made him so angry he dropped a helicopter on them? <laughs> oh my god. Rob does not like John Landis. Hey, I don't I don't I don't have a lot of respect for people that kill children. Hot take, right? <laughs> Rob manslaughtered children. Um anyway, get you get your terms right. There's too many syllables. It doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> Uh, it's more fun to say manslaughter than, than manslaughtered. Um, anyway, though, so like he got mad at, at uh, Rick Baker for doing that. And so Rick Baker got his protege, Rick Botine, to do the howling. Rick Botine, not Rick Botine, Ron. Oh, my God. I can't even think of people's names anymore. Ron Boat. Is it Ron or Rob? I think it's Ron, isn't it? The guy who did the thing makeup. <laughs> Rob, Rob Routine, whatever. I'm losing track. Too many people's names begin with the letter R in this episode. Um, he sorry. got Rob. Bo- <laughs> yes, you should be sorry. Rob Routine went and did the makeup on The Howling, which came out, which was another werewolf movie that came out a couple months from American Werewolves in London. Okay. Full circle. Full circle. It's Rob. Rob Routine. Rob Routine. Lo- yep, I found it. <laughs> Yes, it's the Rick Baker, Rob Botine. Too many bl- names begin with the letter R, end with the letter B, whatever. Um, last name begins with the letter B. Uh, good folks, my, my brain is fried. Um, <laughs> yes, Rob hasn't heard all the John Landis stories over the years. They're in that, uh, what what the F happened to uh, Twilight Zone? He didn't hear all the anecdotes from that movie. No, not not at all. I mean, I've... I'll, I, I'll, we're gonna have we'll save that for the twilight zone we'll do okay. that at some point i would like to discuss that movie one day because i i definitely have a lot to say about the recreated segments i, I don't have too much to say about the originals but you know when when they remake um for the 60 millionth time nightmare at twenty thousand feet you know after jordan peele's twilight zone gets canceled and someone else picks it up keegan michael key who knows i would love to talk about that the um uh, that's the George Miller segment, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And then there's the Dante segments. Uh, the the prologue is really good, like we mentioned earlier. I would love to talk about that one day. And as Zach knows that I've said to him off mic, I will never miss a chance to talk about John Landis being a manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, folks, there was an entire book written about this. Rob's going to lose his mind when he finally gets it. <laughs> And I mean, hey, I always want to talk about Joe Dante. I mean, um, was was The Howling Dante's first film? I have I don't, no idea. Okay. Because I think it was The Howling. 
and then Gremlins and then the Burbs. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know. I know uh, the the Howling was first. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about the Burbs one day. I love that movie. <laughs> Good old Carrie Tom Fisher, Hanks. Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. The thing that okay, going back to the 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 werewolf in this, the transformation I feel in a way like even though it's incredibly well done even by today's standards, I. It's that I feel that's the thing this movie will always be remembered for. And I mm. think this film is too witty. I think it's I think its script is too it's a shame. I think the script deserves more credit. Like this film is always going to be boiled down to that sequence. And I and I feel like it robs the film it robs the film of its other just as good if not better aspects. I I definitely agree with you. But I feel that movies like this especially in today's age, no matter I'm not talking about what it was received to or how people thought about it back in the 80s, but I think today, if anybody, a common moviegoer, a common person, hears, you know, an American werewolf in London, they immediately are put in a mindset of a monster movie, and this could not be further from a monster movie, which is, like I said, why I admired it. But I think that's the downfall of these types of movies existing in such a specific genre that people have preconceived notions about a werewolf movie, about a vampire movie, about any, you know, Halloween horror monstober type of thing, right? You yes, yes and no, but at the same time though is that like film criticism and and other movie again cinephiles I can I don't know. It's it's a weird one. It's like I don't know who again, it's kind of like when people talk about this movie, they go right for that sequence. The groundbreaking yeah. effects not the witty dialogue. And I, I think that, that's I think that's what I'm saying is that's because they are expecting a werewolf movie. I want to make the connection to last Monstober when we talked about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. People were expecting Michael Myers and they didn't get it. I think that this movie is walking that line of it is giving people a werewolf movie, but they're seeing that more than what it truly is in the wittiness. But, like, that's the thing, though, is it, like, I'm talking about film like when you if you ever see like a, a film article referencing this, that's how this movie is described as the groundbreaking visual effects. Okay. Not like oh I, I'm not talking about normies. Yes, normies are going to glom on to the most obvious aspect and extrapolate. Yeah, I that. think that's where I'm coming from. But but, but keep I'm going, more yeah. disappointed that in when it comes to film criticism that like no and not, don't get me wrong, people do appreciate this film for more than just special effects. But it's the idea that like I feel like it's always going to be known as that mm-hmm. when there's this film is so much more, and I feel like it's hamstrung by this very specific aspect. And I'm trying to think of another film where there's one specific sequence. Is that all it's known for? And another completely different aspect of the film is completely ignored. Is there another film like that where one mm. specific scene overshadows everything else in the film? That's a good question. I mean, I think because I just mentioned it, speaking of Cronenberg, I think that, you know, uh, The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, that is a lot of the body horror, though. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, I, I feel like I always hear people talk about the scene where he's like saving his body parts in his medicine cabinet. But that really is the whole film. <laughs> Um, I, I, well, speaking of Cronenberg, I can think of maybe Scanners in that, like, you have the one shot of the guy's head exploding. Oh, sure, And yeah. that just overshadows the rest. Like, people don't know that's a film. Yeah, they just know the head explosion. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, unless you're a film goer, you really don't know what Scanners – I'm sorry, a film lover. You really don't know what Scanners is beyond the one the, – the guy – the bald-headed guy with the glasses head exploding. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to rack my brain with some other things, and, and I think that, you know, I, I'm coming up short. 
because I think I'm getting confused between iconic scenes versus what we're discussing in the sense of overshadowing the film. I'm trying to think, what else, what else would there be? I'm trying to think of another example. Maybe more, well, again, today in modern modern movie terms, nothing, no movie lasts forever. Um, again, Avengers Endgame makes $2.8 billion, and we forgot about it a half an hour Yeah, later. I was thinking about um, Infinity War, you know, is like uh, people remember the snap at the end, but that is kind of the only point of that movie, is the snap at the end. Nah, maybe, but that's, maybe that's a good example. Um, but that's, Again, the rest of the movie, there's really nothing else to that movie. Other, everything yeah. in that movie is building to that yeah, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's more, of a, it's more of a crescendo than overshadowing. Yeah, it. yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that's, that's where I'm having trouble figuring out in my head where, where one ends and the next begins. Yeah, I don't know. Again, iconic movie moments in cinema. That'd be interesting. I guess maybe Psycho? Would Psycho be one where it's oh, like people, all people think now is the shower sequence yeah. it overshadows the fact that it's about like the psychological torment of a man with like his mother like his mother's son relationship? That's a good one because I, I don't think I speaking of the normies again, everybody knows the shower scene, but it's like when I talk about Norman versus Norma Bates, they're like, What? That movie looks old. I don't like it. <laughs> I guess that's maybe a thing when it comes to horror movies, maybe. Yeah. Maybe this is yeah. kind of a thing that's kind of exclusive to that. I was I was also, you know, when you say horror, that makes me think of um The Shining with, with Jack Nicholson here's Johnny. Yeah. But I told you, I think again <laughs> going back to The Shining. Um, <laughs> is that I do think that the old hag in the tub is now by today's cultural standards more representative of that film than here's here's Johnny. Okay, okay. I think. I could be wrong about that, but I think again, Doctor Sleep. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, this might be this might be a phenomenon that's actually exclusive just to horror. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something else and nothing really pops into mind like in an action genre or comedy or comedy. Yeah, or I mean I I think of I guess I'm going to the classics because they're the classics, but, you know, I, I don't think anybody ever cites one moment in Die Hard. Like, they just think of Die Hard oh. as its entirety. Well, no. Actually, it's a really good point. The, the stupid Christmas versus action movie genre can play. People are so freaking – and this is maybe not an iconic moment, but people are so hung up at the time period of that movie, they kind of forget that it's an action movie. Like at the end of the day, Die Hard's an action movie. It's not a Christmas movie. It's just an action <laughs> movie set at Christmas time. It does not make it a Christmas movie. Like people are stupid. It's like it's like the idea of Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before mm. Christmas is a Halloween – like it's not a Halloween movie, but like – it's a spooky movie that just has Christmas as an aspect of the plot. Yes, yes. And I guess maybe that's just a different variation on what I was presenting. Okay, okay. No, that, 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 that's an interesting idea for sure. I guess it's also – it's like I, – I, I don't know. I guess maybe things like – okay, what – but this is the thing too about American Werewolf in London that I don't get. And this is like a nice transition point. That like you have Evil Dead 2 – and good lord, I wish people would hop off Evil Ted 2's dick. Like, I was just like, <laughs> it's, it's so annoying how, like, that film now is on such a huge pedestal. Like, yep. it's almost, like, to the point where, like, I can't even watch that movie. Like, I see, I, I, I haven't watched that movie in years, and anytime it's referenced, I kind of just, like, like, like people are like, oh, that movie's so great. And I kind of reach for my gun now when people say that. Not because the movie's not go good, it's just that, like, it's not as good as people are making it out to be. Yeah, I think we've had this discussion not in a long time, but I, I, hot take or not, I still really like Army of Darkness the best. 
Well, Army of Dark. This is my example I've always used. Like, Evil Dead is a horror film. Evil Dead Two is a dark. It's like a black comedy, and Army of Darkness is a comedy. Yes, I, I mean, I love that scene in Army of Darkness where you just have stagehands off camera throwing fake skeletons at Bruce Campbell. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, but it's interesting you mentioned it because like, that thing almost ha- like it almost happens the same in this. Where anytime someone's attacked by a wolf in this, it's just somebody like shoving a puppet in someone's a yeah. wolf puppet in someone's face. Yeah, like every time someone gets attacked by the werewolf, it is comical. I don't know if I made that connection until just now, but you're absolutely right. That is one of the things I think, um, I don't think I mentioned it before. Well, I I did mention how restrained the movie is when it uses the wolf in that last set piece. It's almost translucent that you can tell that this is a puppet and this is, you know, it's almost like you can feel the camera between you and the screen, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing, though, is that, like, Evil Dead 2 tonally is very very similar to american werewolf in london and i would say both films are very witty and clever but in very different ways where evil dead 2 much of its cleverness comes from the physical gags whereas werewolf in london is much more witty in a dialogue way yeah i i would say i haven't seen evil dead 2 in so long but i would say Evil Dead 2 is much more self-aware than American Werewolf in London is. I, yes, but I don't think they're that far off from each other. Okay, okay. Because, and that's the thing, though, is like, I don't, because, again, this comes out in 1981. Evil Dead 2, I think, is 87. And I don't think you get Evil Dead 2 without American Werewolf in London. Oh, interesting. Considering, considering that, like, Sam Raimi's, like, the king of, like, horror schlock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't get how... London werewolf in London does not get the same amount of respect as evil dead two does does in the sense of like, I think again, both films are good for what they're going for. They're both excellent for what they're trying to achieve, but I just don't get how one's been more or less ignored by film culture. And maybe that is the fact that one was directed by a manslaughter. Well, I think this harkens back to something we discussed when we did dead alive slash brain dead Peter Jackson's film. That film is not recognized because it's not accessible. That is just plain and okay, simple. Okay, okay. No, no, you're you're not wrong, and, and everybody can go back and listen to our discussion on that, but I think this is a very similar conversation we had then, talking about Evil Dead versus Dead Alive. Yes, but I think Dead Alive, Dead Alive was also early 90s, mm-hmm. so you had a lot of that stuff kind of just baked into sure. a horror fish, because there's also a difference between mainstream and a ho- like horror like horror fans, a horror aficionados. Because I, I told – I think I've made this reference numerous times now. Ever since in that Vanessa Hudgens movie where like it came out in 2009, nobody saw it. But like mm. it's Vanessa Hudgens and she's like, oh, I like, – in the movie, her character's like, I love Evil Dead too. And she tells the nerdy protagonist guy, you should come to the screening of it with me. And at that moment, I'm like, I do not buy this character. <laughs> this character doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a real-world Vanessa Hudgens inviting the nerdy, the nerdy dweeby guy to the Evil Dead 2 screening. No, is that not because Ingrid goes west, or is that a different movie? No, no, it's uh, I think it's called Band Slam. Um, I've only seen it once. I saw it like ten years ago. I literally that's my only memory from the movie. Okay, um, I don't think I've seen it. I've seen Ingrid goes nobody, west, and it nobody makes... saw the movie. Rob, I do not like Ingrid goes west. <laughs> that's fine. That's not the uh, oh god, what's her name movie? Aubrey Plaza. Yes, Aubrey Plaza. It makes my... no sense. They like Ingrid goes west makes Aubrey Plaza out to be like the sexy slutty whore girl and i'm like 
No, every like movie, she's you not mean, that you mean, person. E- you mean every movie with Aubrey Plaza? Yeah, and I don't. I, ban, okay, Band Slam is the one you're talking about. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. a different. I've never seen that one. Okay, we, hey, tangent. What is with this weird thing with movies starring Aubrey Plaza where they always try to make her out to be like the slutty girl? The I, slutty have, I have no idea because she gets recognized for her dark gritty i'm doing air quotes like the biggest air quotes i've ever done zach you know uh dark gritty role as like the the hater of life in parks and rec and then they're just like let's put her in a bikini in every other role and i'm like what because <laughs> like i know there's two movies i've seen her in where she's playing that role hard there's the one movie where she wants to lose her virginity before college and clark Gregg is her father yeah um, yeah i is that that's not easy a um, no, that, no, that's Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Yeah, I know what you. I know what you mean though. It's like she has like the sexual bucket list. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's the bad grandpa movie with Zac Efron, Robert De Niro, <laughs> where all she wants to do is have sex with Robert De Niro. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't every, believe I've seen both of these movies that you're referencing. And and, oh, 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 and there's the other movie with I think Zac Efron and the guy, um, the schlubby guy. Oh God, I don't know what his <laughs> name is from Workaholics. Oh, Adam Devine? Yeah, where there's that movie, Zac Efron, Adam Devine, Wedding Dates, and it's her and Anna Kendrick, and the whole time all she wants to do is have sex with Zac Efron. I, I've i seen Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. I've seen that too. <laughs> Rob, what the hell are you up to when I'm not around? How, <laughs> do I need to be this like the guardian of your movie watching? Where, like, you have to start like, you like need my parental – like, Rob, do you need – I think we have to have parental – like permission slips now when it comes to uh when you watch movies you have to send me tell me what movie it is and i'll sign the permission slip otherwise you are not allowed to watch it cocaine's a hell of a drug <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you are you are not what is with that in aubrey plaza like what I, is I don't know i've always been confused by that as well is that you know aubrey plaza they are trying to make her a sex symbol and it makes no sense she should be angry like, don't get me wrong. I find Aubrey Plaza incredibly sexy, but like that plays it up a little too far. I'm like, nope, nope. Di- dial it down just a little, just a little. Like she's attractive, but like she's not a horn dog either. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I do not get it at all. I don't get it either. Remember, folks. Literally, the, I, I coined this many years ago, and I still think it's going to happen. <laughs> The worst thing that's going to happen on this planet. This is the tenant moment where the, the 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 past and the future and the algorithms put together. We are going to get Back to the Future Four with Jeff Bridges is Doc Brown and Aubrey Plaza is Marty McFly. Oh God, I know that's going to happen. Before, that's yeah. going to happen at some point. Steven Spielberg's going to die. John Landis is going to drop a helicopter on him, and we're going to get Back to the Future Four with Jeff Bridges and Aubrey Plaza. Tune in next month for the Aubrey Plaza series where we discuss all of her movies except for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World because fuck oh, that yeah. movie. <laughs> you know, I just realized we might have to give Colin Madman Trevorrow some credit. He cast her in Safety Not Guaranteed and she is not sexy in that film. That – I totally forgot about that. You're right. She is the – um, she's ostensibly the main character, right? She is the main character and she is not sexy in that film. Okay, okay. I mean – um. I don't think I'm going to see that again anytime soon, unless we unless we do the series next week. <laughs> Rob, remember, if everything goes right, we're getting another dinosaur movie next year. Oh God! Don't we have the subtitle Dominion? Isn't that what you told me? Dominion, <laughs> Jurassic World three colon Dominion, starring Chris Pratt. Oh God! 
Ron Howard's daughter, <laughs> Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, oh. and Laura Dern. Can I just say I really love the fact that I'm pretty sure, I don't have any hard stats on this, but from going through the Cinemodity spreadsheet and like Spotify, our two longest episodes are Jurassic World 2 Dinosaur Boogaloo and The Shining slash Room 237. Isn't that the weirdest combination to be our two longest discussions? <laughs> it should be noted that Dinosaur Boogaloo was not edited. That's true. I mean, yeah, we didn't edit it, and then I think 60% of the movie is put in through cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, folks, two years later, in the almost two years of me owning the movie, I still have never watched that movie again because I'm afraid I, I want that movie to kind of just completely fade from my consciousness. So when I do revisit it, I will remember every insane. I will just it'll <laughs> jog my memory in the moment, and be like, "Oh God, this is." Because I completely forgot the end of that movie, or at during that movie, we have a cloned little girl that's part dinosaur. <laughs> They're like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Zach and I have talked about this off mic. Zach Insane. really. Zach has forgotten so much about this movie. I have tried and failed to forget <laughs> this movie. Like I am one step short of electroshock therapying myself to try and forget this goddamn movie. <laughs> Remember, folks, one word: indoor raptor. Why is it the indoor raptor? Because the toy company <laughs> read it was <laughs> indoors for most of the movie. <laughs> True that. Son. I swear. I swear. When I make my first million dollars, I'm buying a dinosaur because that's all it costs. <laughs> you remember, the indoor raptor winks and looks directly into the camera. Such a nasty woman. <laughs> I remember. I remember fucking from our discussion in that episode that I go, if I had fifteen million dollars, I could buy fifteen dinosaurs or a crane. <laughs> Like that's the that's the equivalent market. You could buy one crane, like a construction style crane, or fifteen dinosaurs. Remember, Rob, the cooler dinosaurs are more expensive though. They have to bid more for them. <laughs> if you want the dinosaurs that murder, they cost more money. Oh my god. Oh my god. What if I you hate want that a dinosaur? Movie. What if you want a dinosaur that can drop a helicopter on somebody? Oh. If, Rob, if you're a toy company and you read in the description that there's a dinosaur that drops helicopters on children <laughs> actors, what would you call it? Oh, John Landisaur. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Cinematis is back, folks. You don't get this with Ben and Justin, folks. You do not get this sort of you don't get this, folks, when they're around. Oh, yes. I'm very happy to have Zach back. He understands references. <laughs> oh. uh, but no, like, okay, getting back to the werewolf in America. What have we become? <laughs> I know. It's gone completely downhill. They're going to start – what's going to happen is people are going to start donating negative tears to us on, on uh, Patreon. It's going to be like – we start sending them $5. Uh, no, so, like, I like the werewolf design. Okay. I, I – I, I wish we actually got to see it more, like, in its entirety. I love that it's essentially just, like, a fluffy wolf. Like, it doesn't look like a wolf at all. It's just so fluffy. It's like a, what, four-legged creature that's just, like, in, it's so fluffy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you look at a wolf, and a wolf, for the most part, is nowhere near as that, like, like, it looks like someone stuck an animal in the dryer for five minutes and <laughs> took it out. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I want to pet. I want to pet the werewolf more than I'm afraid of it. When I think of wolves, I think of lean, you know? Yes. This is this is like I think you 
fluffy is a good way to put it. And like you said, somebody stuck an animal, a dog in a dryer. <laughs> That's what it looks like. I'm like, I just want to pet. Like, I'm not afraid of it. I just want to pet it. <laughs> fair, fair. Because like I know there's a couple scenes where we see it, and I'm like, and, like the best scene is like when the guy like trips on the escalator and then forgets how to walk, and then <laughs> yes. like and like it's slowly going up at half the speed of smell, and like it's slow, and it's a great scene. Like it's like the the camera's like static on at the top of the escalator, and like we see him slowly going up as the werewolf like slowly approaches the bottom of the escalator. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I love that shot, even though like it makes like in all honesty, folks. Like if a where if any trot animal tries to get on an escalator, the first thing it would not know how to react to that. So like if you're ever being attacked by a werewolf, probably <laughs> the safest place you could be is on an escalator. <laughs> now that I really like. <laughs> like if John Landis had any sense of true sense of humor, he should have seen like like the like the werewolf tries to get on the escalator, like fumbles, then goes away, and the guy's like, Who goes on like gets to the top of the thing, just gets kind of like pushed off the escalator. Then you see Ding! As the elevator doors open and reveals the werewolf. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. When do we get to the ride? This isn't a ride, this is safety. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic Fairly Odd Parents reference. I know Ross made that reference. Anytime the, like, the escalators come up on this podcast, we always, he always makes that reference. Yeah, I think the last time was a like a year reference. and a half ago. It's been a while. <laughs> what episode of that is the Fairly Odd Parents? <laughs> Now that I don't know, man. <laughs> now that I can really I hear, do not know. Can I hear that again? Like, what was that? <laughs> that, like, was, that was, like that was bewilderment like... mixed with confusion from Rob. You only get that once a decade. <laughs> that was like three different like air like things going in and out of Rob's mouth. I did not know how time. to react to that question, Zach. <laughs> oh, God, I can hear this. Like, okay, Rob will insert the clip. Dad, when do we get to the ride? This is the ride! Yippee! But it's 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 great because like Fairly Odd Parents had again its first couple seasons had some great moments like that. Um like my favorite Fairly Odd Parents clip is I have good news and bad news. What's the bad news? I found no no, I'm sorry. Okay. Take two. <laughs> I have good news and bad news. What's the good news? I found a nickel and named it Philip. What's the bad news? It's, it's a, a girl, girl nickel. nickel. <laughs> Oddly prescient for today's age. (laughs) That is probably, if I could almost sum up one piece of humor from my youth that would go on to exponentially influence how I view the world and why I find certain things funny, it's that. Fair. Is that that anti-humor or is that like nonsensical humor? Oh, no, I I think it was, there was a lot of anti-humor I felt in um, Fairly Odd Parents. I don't know my order of episodes, which is what got, got a confused noise for me before, but there's like some, some adult jokes in Fairly Odd Parents that I remember that I didn't get till I was older, and I think those are very anti as well, and I, I appreciated that. I mean, what Fairly Odd Parents started as an Oh Yeah cartoon short, isn't that the history of it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I I still, to this day, I think I've said many times on this podcast, but it's also been a long time since I've referenced it. I really want old-school Nickelodeon. Like, I would love to find, which has been so difficult, Oh Yeah cartoons, Kablam, that type of stuff. Those were fantastic shows. I, I, I think you've had it on your spreadsheet, Zach, for years. Prometheus and Bob, the Kablam oh, yeah. short. 
And oh, yeah. that's that's just immaculate television. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, I think I've mentioned this before, but Prometheus and Bob, all of it was on YouTube and it got copyright striked. Yeah, I, I hate well, – we both hate that, definitely. Yeah, it's disappointing. Fairly odd parents. Like that's a conversation. Like, well, like maybe one day we'll do that. I would love to do, you know, old, like Kablam. We had Life with Loopy, Prometheus and Bob. Uh, there, there was so much going on back then, and it's like a distant tangential memory now. Like I, I don't remember any of it. I just know of it. <laughs> yeah, it's something to investigate. Um, but uh, where was I going with the Fairly Odd Parents thing? Oh, the escalator. Yes, um, this is the ride. <laughs> Oh, God. But no, like, I like the werewolf. I like the design of it. I know, like, in the behind the scenes stuff, like, Rick Baker wanted to be, like, bipedal. And, like, John Landis fought for it to be four legged. And obviously, he got his way. Oh, okay. And, but, like, I like that, though. And I love, like, when David first goes on his first killing spree. I love, like, the married couple who apparently only were engaged. And it's like, honey, we should go around the back to scare him. Yeah. And, like, and it's like, did you hear that? Like, what? It was a sound. There's like a pause and like the werewolf puppet just gets thrown at them. <laughs> like, like, I just love that. I love that. Like, it's so like, I can't tell if it's intentional. It just is so ham fisted. And that just delights me. Yeah. I, I think that's what I was saying before is that, you know, there's parts of this movie, which I, once again, I want to iterate. I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I, I think both you and I, Zach appreciate sometimes when you feel that it's a movie. Like I said before, you can see the cam or feel the camera between you and the TV screen. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That works in this movie. It does, but like it's I think to people of oh god, it just kills me. Of modern, like that like modern contemporary hoarder, oh, horror horror, sure. this comes across that sort of stuff comes across as hokey. Yeah, you're yep, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that is something that we'll get at more when we talk about cinematis and late night status, but you know, this to normies, to use that term again, they're not gonna see this holding any type of candle to a modern in air quotes horror film. And everybody check out the Cinematis Patreon. We did an episode on the Cabin in the Woods. I think that's what people want from their horror these days, where it's Joss Whedon Avengers style 60 million creatures killing people on the screen and they can't appreciate oh no Rob no Rob you are you are a hundred percent wrong uh oh people no 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 that you know what the sad thing is that's clever that's at least you know what the sad thing is that's imaginative what people want today this is not me being facetious they want Vera Famiga and Patrick Wilson screaming at a CGI creature I forgot. I forgot about that. The nun. Want... Remember, the nun is considered. Remember, that is yeah. what people want nowadays. That's the Babadook. That's what they want. Confused actors yelling at a CGI <laughs> shadowy ghost. They want That's Linda Cardellini want. spinning around on the floor screaming, "It's La Llorona." <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, what they That's want. right. I I don't like those movies, now. and I totally forgot about those. But you are absolutely correct. Rob, I, I recommend for – again, I have no idea when we're going to do this because this definitely can't be part of Cinemonides proper. <laughs> we should call it like Zach um, – like maybe maybe this maybe this will be a homage to the American Werewolf in London episode. Um, how should Zach kill himself when it comes to horror? We pick horror movies that Zach hates. <laughs> Zach after Zach dark. Even, <laughs> no, Zach, Zach tries to kill himself with horror movies. It's like Paranormal Activity, The Conjuring 2 – the Blair Witch Project. This actually sounds like a great YouTube series. It's gonna, it's gonna, Rob and Zach from Cinemodities figure out how to die. 
if Zach and Rob, if Rob is ever allowed to come to New York again, or I'm not sure if Rob's allowed to leave Colorado, I don't know what the current travel restrictions are. I don't know. Are we allowed to leave the state? Are we allowed to come back? I don't um, know. The, the last thing I heard is that there's like multiple dorms on CSU's campus that are closed down for quarantine. So who knows what the fuck is going on out here? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Somebody's wearing a mask. That's all that matters. Um... <laughs> somebody's wearing a mask that's great <laughs> uh, there's a mask in the vicinity of us that's what matters <laughs> I, have a, Rob, I have a question going back to goosebumps you know how you have to wear a mask to go anywhere could one of us get the goosebumps mask and wear it into like a grocery store would that be permitted oh is that a loophole i don't know because i don't think i've said this to you before zach but what you just described made me remember it I really want to wear my Halloween three pumpkin head mask in a grocery store and see if anybody complains at me. <laughs> and if the they weird... do, you know I'm going to go boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no mouth hole. It's only two eyes in the in the mask I have. So it should there's count. No mouth hole? No, no mouth hole on my mask. Interesting, because usually most Halloween masks have eye holes and mouth holes, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of this nonsense that we're yeah, currently living yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, oh, wait, I'm upset because I want snakes to come out of my mouth with my I eyes. Think, <laughs> I think we should do is cut a hole in your Halloween in your your pumpkin mask, and if someone starts talking to you with the mask, and you start vomiting bugs out. <laughs> Sir, that is not an acceptable mask for the state of Colorado. Boop 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 boop. boop. <laughs> what are you doing, sir? Boop 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 boop. <laughs> it gets loud. It gets progressively louder. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? Turn it off! Turn it off! <laughs> oh my god, that's a... that's I cannot wait. I, we're recording this still not in October. Okay. I feel like there should be a part of us that records... Like We should do bi-weekly Monstober episodes, so we actually <laughs> have to record Monstober stuff in Monstober. Can I just say to you and the audience how upset I am that we've done the Goosebumps episode now, we've done three out of four Monstober episodes, and I cannot watch my Monstober movies because it's not October well, yet. <laughs> it's not. It's not Monstober. It's, it's, I, we it's jumped really the shame. gun. <laughs> no, it's called proper planning, Rob. And that's Hey, that's actually the truth. I actually love having more than two days to edit episodes, I must admit. <laughs> it's both a blessing and a curse. Oh, God. I, I can't wait. I mean, what, four more days and I'm going to fucking pound out some goosebumps. <laughs> four more days till Monstober. Rob, work on it. That can be a, that can be an inferiority co- uh, complex thing. Four more days till Monstober. Monstober. Oh, Monstober. Four more days till Monstober. Silver Shamrock. Sir, we're gonna have to ask you to leave. <laughs> it gets more shrill and nasally the, the louder it gets. See, this is why we're better than Blank Check, Zach. We go off on tangents and run them into the fucking ground. That's why we're better than Blank Check. This is weird. Usually we, usually when we don't like a movie, we start like, like going back to like nostalgia and like discussing other things we've discussed. This isn't having a lot in this episode. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I like this movie. Rob seems okay with it. Yeah, I admire it, like I said. Yeah. An Ethiopian werewolf in Kenya? <laughs> no, that's the same continent. That doesn't count. An Egyptian werewolf in Iraq? There you go. An Icelandic werewolf in Greenland? Mm, Those are the only comfort. three I wrote down 
and I use them already. I, I'm, I'm doubling down on my jokes. A, can, a Canadian werewolf in Tibet? Well, this was my issue when I was trying to think uh, okay. of different things to call the movie. It needed to be a country that starts with a vowel because it's mm. an American werewolf in London. Oh, so I did okay. Ethiopian, Egyptian, and Icelandic. I, I wanted gotcha. to keep the N because you could, we could – we could just do a rapid fire, a Canadian werewolf in Mexico, but that doesn't have the an. So I wanted that uh. vowel in there. I made a rule for myself and stuck to it. <laughs> All right. Gotcha. I can respect that. So you're saying we have like an Italian werewolf in Tokyo? Ooh, Italian's a good one. An Italian werewolf in Tokyo. I'm going to put that on the list right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because yeah, I was thinking of some like I wanted to really use like Moroccan, but that doesn't start with a vowel, and so you know I I make rules for myself and I stick to them, folks. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. What'd you say? Oh, an Italian world in Tokyo. That's a good one. Now we got four. <laughs> got four. <laughs> oh god, this is Alexa, this is a what weird are episode. That begin with vowels. <laughs> she didn't like that. She didn't answer that. Alexa, what are countries that begin with vowels? <laughs> Okay. Alexa, stop. Okay, Google. What's the name of the dance from Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> Futterwhacking! Futter it actually said it! Did you hear that? Oh my god! I didn't know it was that easy! I thought nobody knew the name of this dance! Oh my god! <laughs> We're done. We we just this is the podcast. Everybody download this episode and the Frank Ocean episode. This is the only thing that matter. <laughs> All right, folks. What snack are we eating this episode? Oh my god, it's, it's, the, it's the nutter butter. The futter whacking. The futter whacking. I don't I think I should write this down to remember it, but I'm gonna forget it in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, so why? It's the nutter butter. The nutter butter. I cannot believe that just happened, Zach. <laughs> Google is too pervasive that it, it was able to answer that question that quickly. <laughs> yes. It's been waiting, Rob. It's heard you talk about it all these years. It's just been waiting. <laughs> There's someone with the Google HQ that just had their finger on the button just waiting. That was funny. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, shit, Zach. <laughs> Rob, if I become a werewolf, do you promise to tell me I love you then have the police shoot me? Um, uh, maybe? I, I do love you, Zach, but you're not as sexy and angry as some of these women, though. <laughs> no, no, you're Jenny Agater. I'm the werewolf. Oh, I get to smoke a cigarette. Nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I haven't smoked a cigarette in, like, eight years. <laughs> you're too busy feeding them to the cats in the neighborhood. Oh, okay. But up, up, but up, up. Now that's a callback. <laughs> that is the callback, folks. That is like OG cinemonies. That's back when the podcast still had no idea what it was doing. That's when uh, Zach got angry at me the, for the first time when I said, we're going to do f- foreign animation, but here's perfect hair forever. <laughs> that was mad, folks. I was mad. Uh, come in, <laughs> nude. <laughs> Hamburgers must be high. <laughs> so I guess to get us back 
on track if that's even a possibility at this point. I did want to mention or talk about something that you brought up earlier, the dream sequence with the Nazi monsters. <gasps> of course! The reason why we picked this, I completely forgot about. I really have to admire the fact that we get this dream sequence of Nazi monsters killing this guy's family, and then they double down on it in a double dream sequence. Zach, I have to say, speaking of old-school cinematodies, how does this dream sequence hold up or compare to the Batman v Superman dream sequence, which you loved a lot? Rob, I'm glad you brought that up because I realized there is a parallel between the two. In that we have, like, <laughs> demonic foot soldiers. Yeah! There is a theme, common theme here. They're not... I, I guess in this movie they are Nazi demons, where what we call them parademons in Batman v Superman or something like that. But but remember, yes, there are like the weird parademons in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Nine Eleven. <laughs> but we also have like remember Superman has like the troops too. They're like they have like the Superman emblem like on their like shoulder. Yeah, there is demon foot soldiers. Batman so, like, is in full costume, but also a duster. <laughs> yes. Which is a which is an incredible look for Batman that's never gotten the justice it deserves. Pardon the pun, hey, folks. That's it. Folks, I want you all to take a step back. I know as a culture we all hate Batman v Superman now. Like like Ben Ben Affleck doesn't like Batman anymore. But we all have to take a moment, watch that sequence again. That sequence is incredible, and hopefully, hopefully now we're getting Hack Snyder's six hour long Batman oh, v Superman Dawn of Justice. Like we will get that fleshed out, and then at the end we will finally get a confused Ezra. I don't know whatever the hell his name is. Be like Bruce. She he she's the key. He was bad all along. Confused Ben Affleck. Am I too soon? This is where Zach and I. This is where Zach and I really disagree because I I would rather. I would rather choke down Granny's sweet tea that's piss in a jar (laughs) than fucking see the Snyder cut of Justice League. I know Zach and I disagree with this. I cannot wait. Fuck, man. Did you? You like Hack Snyder? That's the weird part. You love him too. Well, I like four and a half hours of Watchmen. I don't know if I like Zack Snyder. You like most of Hack Snyder nonsense. I am vehemently anti-Hack Snyder. Sucker, I still to this day have a, a there's a soft spot in my heart for Sucker Punch. So you might Sucker not be Punch wrong. Sucker Punch is insane. Like I, that's, I try. Well, that, that's kind of why I like it. That there's an updated four minute music sequence of Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. <laughs> oh my god, so many references. I'm losing track. My brain hurts. <laughs> My brain hurts so many references. Zach is like, why did I come back to Cinemodities? Clearly Rob was deprived of talking to an intelligent person for four <laughs> months, and now the watershed moment is happening. <laughs> Folks, I want you to juxtapose this episode with the Thriller episode. It's just like, like I want a super cut of all the times I talk in that episode, which is like you can count on one hand, and you can, you can juxtapose it to this and be like, which, which Zach is a depressed Zach? Spoiler alert, (laughs) they're both depressed. Oh, God. The Thriller episode is fantastic. I love Thriller in a negative way. (laughs) Can we have a Patreon episode where we do a commentary to the Thriller episode where I explain how I wanted to kill myself and what was going through my head at any given moment? That was a peek behind the curtain, which I think Zach is already uh, alluding to. It was a very weird time in Rob and Zach's life where Rob really wanted to talk about this movie. 
And Zach was like, I don't think I'm going to want to be alive a little longer. And I was like, no, Zach, just hang out for two more hours. I'm going to talk about cliche tropes and the RZA. And you were like, oh, God. <laughs> I feel like this should be something safe for the Patreon. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell the story is to Thriller. How thrill Again, we've told the audience how Rob got introduced to Thriller. Yes, at Astra, you mean, yes. <laughs> yes, and then we're going to tell the audience what happened when Zach went to watch Thriller. So, so is, that, is there any more to the story, or uh, did you no, want to cue our... No, okay. that's the story. No, that's just, I, no I that, want... that is. I didn't know if you wanted to uh, discuss Folks, any more. Back. Folks, go give Rob five bucks so Ben can get his lobotomy. And, <laughs> so and Justin that... can take out an advertisement <laughs> to tell yes. us how bad Southland Tales is. Can I yes. just say, I don't think I've said it on recording, I've said it to you before in our personal conversations, big bitch move. You got hit with a big bitch move that day, man. Big bitch move. Yes. That, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Rob, folks, Rob, Rob just opened Pandora's box because there is more to that. There is a little bit more to this story that Rob – new developments that Rob doesn't know about that oh, you have to God. hear about for a half an hour if oh he's lucky. Oh, my God. Yes, indeed, folks. But anyway, though, we're going back to the episode. Big Beep. bitch move. <laughs> yes, big bitch move, Rob. If you want to know why the thriller episode is Zach being quiet, go give Rob five ten dollars so people can go get lobotomies and take out ads. American Werewolf in London time again. So, Rob, what? Nazi demon sequence. We're talking about this movie. <laughs> yes, we are still talking about this movie. Nazi demon sequence is phenomenal. It's the first. I remember how I was introduced to this clip. I think it was on YouTube in like a recommended videos column. Oh, okay. And it was like, oh, I'm like, it's like American Werewolf in London clip six of 12 Nazi demons. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I click on it and I see the sequence with like Kermit and Miss Piggy. And I'm like, what is going on? Yep. I see someone ringing the doorbell and like the father gets up and it's like, oh, I'll get it. And Nazi demons walk in with submachine guns and blow the entire family away, including the parents and the children. And then they start not just killing everybody, but they mess up the house to the point where they take logs from the fireplace and start lighting the house on fire while our protagonist, David, not Denzel Jr., has his neck has a Bowie knife held to his throat and at the end of the sequence has his throat slit. But the whole time, the Nazi demons are just basically Halloween style mask, highly detailed Halloween mask, nonetheless, as they go around just shooting everything, making like horrific gargled noises. I think it is very striking in how it comes at a left field and how detailed it is like you said it, it stands out to me as a sequence i think it would stand out to anybody for how i'm tempted to say jarring striking oh, yeah. might be the better oh, word yeah. for it oh yeah oh yeah it, it's the definition of a visual non sequitur yeah I, I i really like it i, I have to say Rob, yeah i want that i want that in all movies all movies should have visual <laughs> non sequiturs like every movie like in all honesty like if i were making a movie like let's say rob and i are finally making a movie we finally mark cuban finally wrote us a check we're making a movie <laughs> cinemodies is no longer just a restaurant it's a movie studio hey everybody and there was, is a 200 dollar a month tier on patreon you can make this the case <laughs> At two hundred dollars, at two hundred dollars a month, Rob will come to your house via shining style in a bear costume and fillet you. That <laughs> dollar a month here is. You can get your you get a year's worth of blowjobs in one sitting, or you can get them monthly. It's up to you. Um, 
man, if only I was doing blowjobs for 200 bucks, my life would be better. <laughs> oh, man. I thought Rob was going to say, man, if only I had a bear costume. <laughs> I could make 200 bucks for a blowjob? I've been doing it for extra episodes of Adventure Time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a Many stupid a, joke. That's a dumb I, joke. <laughs> I think I need a cigarette after that joke. hey <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. But yes, if we ever made a movie, there'd be a moment where I'd be just throwing Rob non, like, nonsensical sequences. And I think that's what happened in American Werewolf in London. Yet John Landis had the perfect way of incorporating these sequences into the movie as nightmare sequences. Mm. Much like Batman v Superman. Remember, folks, you could do as much weird crap as you can possibly think of in a movie, and you just call it a dream sequence. And yeah. guess what? Zach will love your movie even more <laughs> just because of it. Like, in all honesty, if we had those sort of things in, like, Law & Order Savu, if we had Mariska Hargitay have, like, nightmare sequences where, like, Nazi demons came in and, like, shot up her apartment, I'd be happy. I'd be, <laughs> you know what? I'd be watching Savu every week, and I, I wouldn't care. I'd love it. You're not wrong. What would our movie be zach i think that when we started this podcast and something you said to me for as long as i've known you we you've always said we never want to fall into the high school project trap where we just keep thinking of ideas and they they you know the the fallacy of well what goes good with broccoli cheese what goes good with cheese uh burgers what goes good with burgers and, and we just fall into that that trap wouldn't that be the Cinemodities movie? It's the most glamming, glomming on of nonsense visuals, non sequiturs. We'd have a scene on an escalator where we reference the Fairly Odd Parents. Like, our movie would be a mess. <laughs> Rob, our movie would essentially be Amazon Women on the Moon. Okay. We would get Paul Bartell back from the dead to act in yes. it as well. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob, if you and I ever made a movie, it would be a, it would be a uh, and thought was that what is Amazon Women on the Moon considered? What is that like? Was the anthology oh, film? Anthology film, sketch comedy film. Yeah, yeah. If you and I ever made a movie, it would be an anthology film. You would be doing it from the comedic perspective. <laughs> I'd be doing it from the horror perspective. We oh know my that's what it would be. God, I started this as like when when I asked you this question, I was very much against us making a movie but now i think it has to happen and yes. it would be tales from the cinemodities restaurant there you go there oh my we god go. there'd be so many jizzles <laughs> <laughs> we would get uh trevor what's trevor i don't remember his last name from whitest kids you know i would yep. want him to recreate the jizzle scene for two minutes <laughs> delightful i know i'd be happy we get we get we'll hire natalie portman as the box lux animatronic <laughs> there'd be a whole scene where we have seance modities yep we would have the whole fucking like kids playing with bacteria and petri dishes in the sin e modities portion of the restaurant yep. dude we okay, okay. Everybody Rob, head Rob. over to Patreon and give us money. <laughs> Zach and I need to make this movie. And remember, nobody gave me money to film a cockroach under a cup for eight hours. <laughs> Imagine if I have $200. <laughs> uh, Rob, I want this noted in the spreadsheet when you're editing this. For the three-year extravaganza, I want us to come up with 
five vignettes for the Tales from the Cinematis restaurant movie. Done. It's, I'm, I'm going to put it in the spreadsheet. Zach, I love the fact that you're the only person out of all these other people I've had on Cinematis in your absence. You are the only one who's like, Rob, fucking write this down in the spreadsheet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> even even though Rob might be the Griffin Newman on the blank check, I am the David Lynch and Rob <laughs> is the Mark Frost of the Twin Peaks of Cinematis. Is that like I have to come back up and make it weird and strange again at the end of the day. Hey, like we said in the Goosebumps episode, let's punch Nadine in the head an odd <laughs> number of times. <laughs> it's like the exactly. like button. <laughs> it is. that, And that's um, – folks, I am bringing the oddity back to Cinematis. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because, you know, we had some good episodes while you were gone. Don't get me wrong, Zach. There was some great conversation in there that you were not privy to. But at the end of the day, nobody hits cinemodities like you do. <laughs> Damn straight, folks. There's a reason why my name's in the title still. I know. And that that's I think that's the thing. I don't know if Zach's listened to it, but like when Ben and I discuss the Neon Demon, it's a great discussion. But when I listen to it, I'm like. This is so different from how Zach and I would have discussed it. <laughs> Where Zach goes off on a 15-minute diatribe about a panther being in someone's bedroom and Keanu Reeves getting mad at like a 15-year-old girl for doing it. <laughs> I, I, I am still – maybe this would, maybe this is going to be a bonus episode. Maybe it should be Patreon content. I am upset by the fact that Zach and I did not get to discuss Jenna Malone's attempted rape scene in Neon Demon. Do you remember I that? Say, I – I was about to say, Rob, don't give the way, but you technically already gave the way like five months it's ago. Been, yeah, it's been done. I mean, I think it's I like know. a two and a half hour episode where I'm I like, know. Ben, this movie's amazing. Like, I love everything about it. And Ben's like, yeah, I was bored. <laughs> but Ben is good. We know Ben is good. He's not a Justin. Ben is good. He can discuss things that are boring. Well, he, well, he is the fart detective. <laughs> oh, no, don't. And, he, and he's the poet laureate. He's our, I mean, he's our finest film critic. Honestly, you know, when you remind me of this and it makes me depressed, I could <laughs> actually hear. I'm in my in my head. I'm hearing Ben, our Ben, not blank check Ben. Going, <laughs> I watch a lot of movies on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> like I, that's the thing that bothers me is that Ben in blank check is our Ben. It seems. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> Remember in Goosebumps when we're talking about this and Ben's like, I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, fuck, that is on brand for Blank Check. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I absolutely okay. fucking hate it. But Ben is great. <laughs> what have we uh, done? What have we done I to know. this goddamn podcast? Should we start doing... Didn't they do a Miyazaki series? Can we discuss the rest of Ghibli films? I would love no, to talk about no, Spirited no, Away no, with you again. No. No, no, not allowing that to happen. No, you don't want to do not Totoro real no, quick? We're doing, we're doing Team Beach movie, Rob, damn it. We're doing the <laughs> movies that matter. You don't want to you don't want to do Poco Rosso? Just No. Like a like a quick interjection of Poco Rosso? No. House Moving doing, Castle? No? Do I need to say Team Beach movie too? Princess Mononoke? I watched that like two days ago. It was great. You wanna do stuck that real in, quick? Stuck in the suburbs. <laughs> Smart See House? The girls. Yes, smart house. Yes, <laughs> yes I Zach, you're killing me. You're killing me, man. <laughs> oh man, December plus, folks. It's gonna become a running. It's gonna, it's gonna be the new Monstober, December plus. Cause baby, you bring out bring the out beast the in beast me. In me. <laughs> uh, all right, Nazi demons. 
one final thing, I just, besides the fact I just love them, if it weren't uh, against uh, everything decent about myself in society, that would be a fantastic Halloween costume. Mm. I don't know how you can be a, uh, what's it called, a, a brown coat uh, demon, but hey, it's neat. Um, I don't think there's any way to do that, to dress up as a soldier and have a demon head. I think oh, no matter no. what you dress up as, that's inherently considered a bad thing. Not at it all. It kind of reminds me, it kind what? No, I, I'm agreeing with you. Is in sense that I think it's not even the outfit; it's the helmet, as well. No, that's the thing, though. I think if you picked any country's like like soldiers' uniform with a, like a demon head, no one would be happy about that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the time I saw cosplay of a St- Star Wars stormtrooper done in Captain America scheme, mm. and I'm like, man, that is a very potent message you're sending. <laughs> <laughs> a Captain America Stormtrooper cosplay mashup. I'm like, that is insanely provocative. That is provocative to the point where whoever designed that did not think it all the way through. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's the thing. We're like, that's a great Halloween costume, but I don't know how you could ever wear it outside of the house. Absolutely. That is something that you probably can't even post on social media. <laughs> exactly. There's no good way to do it unless like you made up your own like style fatigues, but still we have someone would get mad at it. Absolutely. Um someone's like that's my fake like country. That's racist toward them. It's like, that's get out my of here, fake country. Nice. <laughs> get out of here you moron. <laughs> um but um no, anyway though, but like in the behind the scenes stuff, like Rick Baker was like like when um apparently in the script it just says Nazi demons and Rick Baker was like, "John, how do I do this?" He's like, Nazi demons, just do it. <laughs> so, like, like, if you look at the masks, they're like, they're very stationary, just like, what? Like, static masks. Like, there's no like, yeah, articulation yeah. to them. And, like, apparently Rick Baker was like, John, these are like Halloween masks. How do you make this work? And John's like, don't worry about it. I'll shoot it the right way. And in all honesty, like, if you do, like, really scrutinize that scene, it does come across very kind of flat, like the monsters. But, like, if you're in the moment... It works. Like, I, it, yeah, I, w- I would agree completely. It's so there's it's such a busy scene. You're really not focusing on just the mask and how just kind of basic they are from from a motion perspective. Yeah. And I, I think this goes back to something we were saying earlier about John Landis, uh, John Landisor, John Landis manslaughterer. Um, he he knows how to shoot these things where you're not lo- – it's almost like a magician in the sense of distraction, and I appreciate that for sure. I think even though Trading Places is a very different movie from this that's more of a comedy, I think that works in the same way. Blues Brothers even is that you have this sense of distraction from what is f- – maybe not failing, but what is lackluster in the set design or in the movie, and you're focused on something else, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like, imagine what he could have done if he didn't drop a helicopter on Exactly. I just wish he didn't kill children. Like, that's that's all I want out of life, is for him not to kill children. Is that too much to ask? Rob, may I make a note that I can always change my mind, but in one of the tales from the Cinematis restaurant, one of them's going to be a what if if John Landis did not drop a helicopter on we Should we contact the two dead children in Seance Monodies? I'm not going to answer that. If they blame John Landis? Can we do the same but ask Vic Morrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's get them all in there. I mean, I'm, I think everybody in the audience knows four, I'm focused on the children, calling, but there wasn't there there was another person dead. In world? Oh, God. This is a rough conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
the netherworld has very, very basic phone operators. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to take turns at the phone. You have to pass them around the table. Yeah, I guess I, I see the, the afterlife as um, the Beetlejuice thing where there's a waiting yeah. room <laughs> and then people have numbers. <laughs> oh, my God. Now serving number 700,000 for seance modities. <laughs> oh, my God. It's great. That's great. Seance Monty's, folks. Um, we keep adding things to this imaginary restaurant. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the secretary from Beetlejuice with the slit wrists. If I know then what I knew now, I might not have had my little accident. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. We might not have started this podcast if we know what we what we know now. <laughs> I can imagine John Landis sitting in the theater during that moment being like, I, true that, son, true that. <laughs> This might be the best episode of Monstober, but the most macabre episode of yes. Cinemodities. <laughs> There's been so much suicide talk. There's yes. been so much manslaughter talk. I don't oh. know if we can recover from this, Zach. I mean, uh, we can. the we fourth will. episode of Monstober might just be the lost Dave Chappelle episodes <laughs> as a palate cleanser. <laughs> What the hell are we doing? <laughs> I love it. I love oh it, God. Zach. Zach's right. back. I, Rob's I, too excited. Okay. <laughs> With all this being said, I okay. I've got nothing else to say about this movie. My takeaways from this movie is I are. Oh God, I'm losing my vocabulary. Um, <laughs> I I love how witty it is. I hate the fact that society doesn't appreciate it. Yeah, and I love 1981 Jenny Agner. Fair, fair. I think the the last bit that I wanted to mention, uh, there's two quotes, maybe three, now that I'm looking at my notes, that I wanted to mention, just to say them. Benjamin, have you ever been severely beaten about the face and neck? Sean, there's hooligans in the park again. And in the tube scene, when we see the London Underground, the subway, the tube, it's subway in America, it's the tube in London, there is a poster on the wall that states, it's a non-stop orgy. See you next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> like Zach was saying, there's a lot of wittiness in the dialogue and the background of this film. But with all that being said, I, if you're ready, I would love to get to our questions. All right. Cinemodity. Uh, I'm going to say yes, because it's a sh- in, in today's culture where something like, like I said, Evil Dead, is held, Evil Dead 2 is held in such, sure. held in such high regard. And this film, even though it has a cult following, it's been more or less ignored. Um, for whatever reason that is, I think that's a shame. And I think that's what makes it a cinemodity. Because this is at the ultimate, ultimately a cult film. Mm-hmm. This is something that's kind of outside the bounds. It was also ahead of its time, so I think it gets that oddity status. Yeah, yeah. Especially what I was saying before, which I don't think we harped on too much. The um, the fact that the woman goes to work and our main, main male character is left bored at home. I, I really find that interesting for an 80s film. Indeed. And also getting to see uh, Jenny Agater in an oversized NYU t-shirt. <laughs> oh, it's, it's pure bliss, folks. It's almost as good as uh, when Rob sees Lucy Liu smoking a cigarette. Um, oh my god, I love that. I don't I don't remember what, I think it's the Blade Runner 2049 episode when you send me that website about celebrities. And I, I cut you off and go, breaking news, Zach! This website says Lucy Liu, does she smoke cigarettes? Regularly. <laughs> yes. Oh, we Lucy Liu. We gotta find that website and look up what Jenny Agater's up to. I, I don't think I ever told you about this, but there's like an early X-Files episode with a young Lucy Liu in it. Of and it, it might be my de facto favorite X-Files episode. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I love the ex the episode where Burt Reynolds plays God. I love the yes. the uh, Native American Indian that can eat people and vomit them up to cure their diseases. But when we see Lucy Liu for three minutes, I'm all about it. <laughs> American, wait, Native American that eats people and throws them up. Isn't that a movie with Tony Curtis? <laughs> or is that the other way around? Or, or a Native American person goes inside a woman to be rebirthed. Zach, I love the fact that I think we're getting into reference territory that our audience won't even understand. <laughs> I don't even know what that movie's called. All I know is that you, I gave it to you and you showed it to Jeremy. That's all I know. Oh, the Manitou. The Manitou, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. I don't even know. It's, it's a reference to a movie that I don't even remember. That that will always go down in history as one of the most interesting viewing experiences I've ever had. Because Jeremy was in Colorado for a week and we were just plowing through movies because he was actually a little sick. So we didn't like we weren't going out and doing a lot of stuff. But I was like, oh, Jeremy, I have all these movies on my list. We should watch them like Zach sent to me. I found them. That's when we first saw Under the Silver Lake that week. You know, there was a lot of stuff. I will never forget. I'm like, Jeremy, the next movie on my list is this movie that Zach sent me. It's called The Manitou. I have no idea what it's about. We watched this movie in total silence for 80 minutes. And in the climax of the movie, the first thing that's said is I look at Jeremy and I go, man, this is fucking crazy. And he goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And that's the only words we said to each other during that movie. And I love that fact. (laughs) All I want for my reward is $200,000 for the school and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> That's going to be a tier. That's going to be a tier on Patreon, $200,000 and a pack of cigarettes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, all right. Late night movie. I'm going to give it a yes because I think this works. It has enough twists and turns. It's engaging. It's, there's really never a dull moment. Um, perfect, perfect late night fodder. Um, yeah, I wholeheartedly approve. Right on. I, I think, um, that I have to echo your sentiments, Zach, for both Cinemodities and Late Night. I want to say yes. I was so in admiration of some of the turns that this movie's movie takes in the sense of a werewolf film. It really subverted my expectations. I don't know if that's still a bad thing to say, but it really did. And as far as Late Night goes, I think for the same reason, I would like to share this with people not only in the sense of the wittiness, but in the fact that it really does things that you wouldn't expect from a werewolf movie. So I think we're in agreement. I don't know when the last time it happened was when we were in agreement, but I think we have four yeses all around. Fantastic. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's easy for me to type into the spreadsheet. <laughs> we are not split. So so yeah, I um I'm really glad that you picked this for Monsober. I'm really glad that I got to see it, even though it's made by a manslaughterer, and I thought it was a different movie. Uh, so, so hats off! I can't wait to see what we get for the fourth week of Monstober if we get anything. <laughs> I, I considering, I've got, I got. That's a problem. It's like I have some, some big, like some. I still have an ace or two up my sleeve. Odd sack. I no no odd 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 sack. No no, no, no I'm sack. sorry. Ernest scared stupid. No, I'm sorry. Rabbits. <laughs> no revolver. Um, that's not a mon i think i said that last week that's not a monstober movie silly <laughs> that's a confusing movie but it's not a monstober, monstober. Movie. <laughs> oh god so rob snacks well 
this is where I think uh, it's becoming like a running thing. Well, I think last week with Seconds, I was good. But I know when we did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and now this, I'm a little short for snacks with these movies. These movies being things that I've never seen before, all three in Monstober, I am kind of more entranced by the movie itself than thinking about snacks. But I did come up with one. And now that Zach is back for the 17th week, even though it's turnstile existence and we don't know where we are in the universe. This is, this is, wait, my, wait, one, two, three, four. This is my fifth appearance, but technically I've been back for three weeks. As of, like, <laughs> in, wait, fifth time in episode sequential order, fifth time in chronological recording order. Yes, and as of this recording, you've only been present on the Tenet episode. The Goosebumps hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> yes. So I I wanted to, or I thought of this one to echo something that we talked about before, which is not something for the restaurant, but something for Zach and I. And if you remember, though, I think the last time this happened was butterscotch vista slash chocolate horizon slash vanilla sky, when I said that every time we show up to the restaurant to go to work, we should have roadside breakfast service. I also, in the Charlie's Angels full throttle discussion, said that Lucy Lou should feed us corn dogs. (gasps) You're going to steal mine! Well, I don't know if I'm going to steal it, but I want to say that just for Zach and I, as the owners and operators of the Cinemodities restaurant, I would like... A sexy, angry nurse to feed us hospital food. Because hospital food is not good from everything I've ever heard. I've never been in the hospital for an extended amount of time, so I don't really know if it's good food or not. I guess it depends on the hospital. But I would love a sexy, angry nurse to feed us bad food. What do you think? As long as my sexy, angry nurse can be Jenny Agutter's circa 1981. I mean, there's no other way to go about it, right? Damn straight. (laughs) She's so... Sexy, she's so angry. She is at first. At first, I know, that's what I was saying earlier, that it really bothers me that she gets less angry during the film. But, uh, like I said, this might be a revelatory moment in my own understanding of my sexuality. I really want women to yell at me. Is that a weird thing? <laughs> Rob likes to be accosted. I Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of it's just yeah oh god she's where's so the, angry where's the, where's the qualifier but i still i want her to take me home afterwards once i'm discharged and tell me how many sexual partners she's had and, which, <laughs> and what kinds of sexual partners they've been i don't think i'm into that i would rather be blissfully ignorant about my women's history i just want them to yell at me <laughs> i want to think if i have one question for john landis i want to ask why that specific of a line of dialogue that's a good point that's a very good point because it is so out of place with the rest of the context of the film. Um, I think I want to finish off this snack by saying I, I just want a woman to yell at me, and when I yell back at her, she starts smoking a cigarette. That's all I care about. <laughs> Relieve that stress, lady. Please. Please. Cigarettes are gross. I haven't – like I said before, I haven't smoked a cigarette in so long, but oh my god. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Zach. <laughs> Remember, Cinemodies is a pro-smoking podcast. I, I felt, Rob, if we could ever get any sort of endorsement deal from, like, Marlboro, like, I'd be on cloud nine. I don't think it's come up in, in a long time, but I know it's been said at least once in this podcast that when I grew up, 
All of my teachers in elementary school said smoking does not make you look cool, which oh, was the lie. biggest lie I was ever told. Smoking makes you look the coolest. <laughs> straight. Especially if you got breasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find different ways to say it, you know? <laughs> I can't just keep repeating myself even though that's all I've done this episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Alrighty, Rob. So how are we – okay, my snack okay, – yes. I want Dangy Agner to feed me something. I think that goes without saying my contribution is that next three year extravaganza, we are going to do tales from the cinemonies restaurant. We're going to have our five vignettes. Um, we don't already said what mine's going to be. We're going to be what if John Landis did not drop a helicopter on three people. I like that. That's going to be one. And uh, we'll figure out the other four in the coming months. Yeah, we have, I mean, what, uh, six months till March 28th which is our anniversary episode well by the time this comes out rob this could be what five months oh fuck the time vortex man i'm so I, confused i know the t- <laughs> no it's not a time vortex it's how the, the hell did we do most of monstober in september what is wrong with us all right rob you <laughs> want to start editing these episodes the weekend before they have to be re- become posted <laughs> no that that's actually the thing like i said earlier i love the fact that now that zach is back i have more than two days to edit an episode <laughs> There you go. All right, Rob, so how are we going to end this week's episode? Well, I think um, before we jump off into what music we play in reverse, there's two things I want to mention. One, of course, is please, everybody, uh, rate and review us. Hit that like button. Take that like button to Pound Town an odd number of times. Check out the Cinemodities Patreon, patreon.com slash Cinemodities. Check out the... Cinemodity subreddit. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. Maximo pictures, uh, Rob's review of Southland Tales I just posted the other day. And uh, there's, like I said in the Goosebumps episode, Zach, there's 6,000 comments that say this is a bad movie, don't like it, from someone known as Justin. Definitely hit us up, cinemodities at gmail.com. Send memes to Zach on Twitter, at Cinemodities. He will not respond. And... I really want to say all that and at the same time throw it over to you, Zach. Would you like to reveal to our audience what we're discussing next week? I can't even say that with a straight face. (laughs) Folks, we'll let you know when we figure it out. Zach can't answer that because it's not been chosen. <laughs> no, and Zach doesn't even have a rough idea of what's going what it's going to be. Tune in next four- week when we do uh, we watch Rabbits Forward but Odd Sack in Reverse. <laughs> oh my god. We watch that and you know we do you know, okay, I've got an idea for another thing from the Tales from the Cinematics restaurant. Uh-oh. It's for a viewing Uh-oh. experience, so I'm not gonna give it away. All I'm going to say is that it's gonna involve watching a movie in the red and blue turnstiles. Mmm. You know, in that scene in The Shining, when they show room 237, room number 237, there's only three words you can spell. It's moon, room, or moron. <laughs> and you're a moron, everybody. <laughs> <sighs> so, with that being said, I think the um, the way that I want to end this episode is some good old Credence Clearwater Revival Blue Moon in Reverse. That makes sense, right? Indeed, sir. Indeed. I see a blue moon rising. <laughs> and if everybody is lucky enough, maybe I'll throw in Paul Bartel's Baby, You Bring Out the Beast in Me one more time. Because everybody wants to hear that, right? Don't do us any favors. Because, baby, you bring you out bring the out beast, the beast in, me. in me. You're the cat's meow. Meow. 
Yeah, you needed then a cheetah. Rawr. You're an opossum with whom my love could blossom eternally.